So, Sammy, you've been on enough podcasts with me that mm. some, sometimes, uh, most of the time, I'm very blatant. But sometimes mm-hmm. I, I leave a trail, a, a scented trail. And I, but I said this very blatantly to you in the same podcast where I talked excessively about The Witcher. This was about four <laughs> months ago, I want to say. When did you talk obsessively? Dude, I gotta go back and listen to these. I don't think you've ever mentioned The Witcher in anything we've ever talked no, about. No, no, no. It, it's funny how I haven't read it three times almost and been talking about it constantly for the last year over and over and over again. And Simi, you, you probably also didn't realize that I said directly to you and Jedi Geek Curl the following... That while I love Star Wars and it's my first love, as soon as I'm not liking Star Wars and I'm liking other properties, I will happily jump off the bandwagon and get back on when I'm good and ready. I said that to you, not jokingly, but seriously, I said that to you straight up to me like three months ago. It's funny. I I look at my Facebook feed and, and slowly but surely I start to see references um, to The Witcher and I always laugh when it's actually not you. Because nine out of ten of them, it's you. But then all of a sudden, not anymore. Slowly, not anymore. Not anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's what yeah. I'm saying. It's almost like, um, you know, I, I'm not this like huge, you know, uh, media social media person, but I do have a solid Facebook of people that I actually know in real life, and it's fun to, that they still participate because we're all still kind of the same age. But slowly but surely. It's starting to get into that. People at the office, I mentioned it to them. They start watching it because Netflix did do a good push on it. And slowly but surely, all of a sudden, it's mainstream. So, Jesse. Number one best-selling book in the country. I called it. I called it. Thank you, Simi. Thank you. Thank you. When a humble bard graced a ride along with Geralt of Rivia, along came this song. From when the white wolf fought a silver-tongued devil, his army of elves at his hooves at day level. They came after me with a masterful deceit Broke down my loot and they kicked in my teeth While the devil's horns minced our tender meat And so cried the witcher, he can't be bleed Toss a coin to your witcher, oh valley of plenty, oh valley Called the Jesse James. Jesse, aka the Bizzle. Oh, the Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, the Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. Sammy Climo, I am so thrilled to launch the Bizzlecast in 2020 with you, of all people, with all of the topics that we have. Given our history in the last two and a half years, with all the predictions, right and wrong, hopes, up and down, things we've talked about, mostly Star Wars, but also Witcher, which we're going to talk about. Let's do, let's go straight from the cold open here. Bizzlecast listeners, you are in for a fucking shit show tonight because Simi Klimo and I are going to be talking The Mandalorian, we're going to be talking Rise of Skywalker, and we're going to be talking The Witcher. 
Um, it's too and, much. Too much. And, I don't know if we can give all this to the people. Do well, the people, dude, I mean, Christmas is over. They need more gifts. You know what? We say. Here's the thing, though. We say we're doing two Rebels episodes, which should be 46 minutes, and then it's two and a half hours later because we've talked Kylo Ren and Han Solo for 20 minutes and then literally talked Game of Thrones for 45, and then something. Then we talk Haley Steinfeld for 20, you know? And then, I mean, it's we can handle this, um, and the listeners are going to see why. So, guys, Star Wars Witcher, main topics. Welcome to 2020. Fuck Trump. Uh, we're not going to get into politics. Uh, Simi, I will no. only say that you and I have been through this for decades, and I'm not saying people are overreacting to the horribleness, uh, but people have some historical perspective about what's going on. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Welcome to 2020. Wait, my turn. My turn. My, my, my fun fact that has nothing to do with anything we're going to talk about for the rest of the time. Did you know that a Wolverine is also referred to as a skunk bear and is a member of the weasel family. Did you know that? Right, which is why Wolverine in the comics is like 5-1 and people were initially, you know, angry at Hugh Jackman's casting at 6-0 or whatever. I am more alluding to the fact that my boy Cassius Winston dropped a career-high 32 points and we smashed the Wolverines by 19 po- 18 points on Sunday. Simi, it That's is... a great opening to my week, Spartans... Spartans. Okay. Spartans. First of all, Simi Klimo, welcome back to the Bizzlecast. Simi! What's up, dude? What is up? It is I'm, a credit. I mean, there's just so many gifts we have for these people. It, these Simi- people are going to be showered with yes. information yes. And, and luxurious and in luxurious case, takes. Really quickly, really quickly, uh, before all that stuff, in case this uh, uh, pre-show part doesn't make it, Literally, as of recording right now, according to Twitter feed, Wednesday, January 8th, uh, about 6 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, Lauren Hisrick, the brilliant showrunner of Daredevil, The Defenders, and now The Witcher on Netflix, which is the most watched show in the world, has made people forget about The Mandalorian. We will get back to that. Um, is flying to London with her crew, and this week they are starting filming on season two of The Witcher Simi, which is Blood of Elves, and I think Time of Contempt, baby! Oh, baby! But we're gonna save it. We're gonna save The Witcher. We're gonna save it, Simi, really quickly, really quickly, some, some, some completely unrelated just love towards you. It is a credit to you and Jessica Haramblock in particular that I've become a Michigan State fan because I grew up a hard, Hard, hardcore blue fan. Mm. Mm. And now, and now I, I root for you guys head to head, like no question, because I have a personal stake in it. You, you should, you do, and and you visited our wonderful city, so you know. Uh, and 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 more people should patron it. It's a it's a wonderful town. You guys town have my- like the perfect number of Starbucks and the perfect number of uh, locations. I will say that. <laughs> They also have a company called Big B, which used to be called Beaners, but that was actually deemed racist, so then they changed it to Big B. Little known fact. Their coffee is trash, uh, but there's a couple of good coffee shops here and there. But yeah, Starbucks, what are you going to do? 
All right. So, Sammy, last time we talked, it had been a couple episodes into The Mandalorian, which is now done, all eight episodes. Mostly people really liked it. There were some ups and downs, even for people who liked it. Mostly was really liked, um, like Rise of Skywalker. Simi, uh, the theme here is that both America's reaction and my reaction to Skywalker and Mando was very similar, and that's interesting to me, even though it's different ways. But it was v- mostly received well, but dude, we were two episodes in during our Rebels commentary, and especially at the that time we're doing season four of rebels which let's be honest to me is still some of the best star wars ever um and we're not even at ahsoka world between worlds and we were looking at the first couple episodes which by the way was just days before the all-time great episode three deborah chow of jessica jones fame one of the best jessica jones writers and director did episode three of the mandalorian which blew me away i've watched numerous times and was convinced it was turning the corner and going to be awesome because of the amazing giant epic mandalorian episode of the mandalorian episode three by jessica jones legend deborah chow and then it all went to shit in my mind in comparison but at that time to me we were not happy we were very very not happy and i have revisited it since then so we're gonna talk that we're then we'll get to rise of skywalker and then we'll get to witcher and then we're of course gonna talk clone wars and we have to explain to the people our sort of various contingency plans about getting out as much ahsoka and or clone Wars stuff as possible before the actual Clone Wars comes out. We will get to that later. But, Simi, since we did those great episodes with the Tide Defenders and the Wolves, you know, and and so forth, which we were just entranced in, and we couldn't understand two episodes in to The Mandalorian, what the fuck that same guy, Dave Filoni, was doing... What changed for you and for America? Because for me, after the Deborah Chow episode, it then became a really cheesy, not great looking, not great written, not particularly inspired Star Wars version of a Firefly ripoff. That is my main opinion about The Mandalorian. Simi, by episode 7, I was barely watching. And Simi Klimo, I'm here to tell you I did not watch episode 8, and I've never thought about it. So that's just where I am, but I don't hate it. I just don't get it. I don't love it. So tell me your journey from two episodes in where you agreed with me what the fuck is going on to, I think, liking the show. I'm, I'm, I'm putting it in your court about The Mandalorian right now, Simi Klimo. So my main complaints with it i'm gonna start there and then move forward are really that it's just so such a short show because i think that's what hindered what they were trying to do i think like they made four episodes and turned it into eight and it's just like it's great for again like how we started off the episode where i was talking to you about like like we need like these people they just got disney plus they got disney plus because of disney and they've never done anything star wars right but everybody's talking about star wars and they know something about star wars this whole thing so if you've never seen anything star wars and and you want to get into it i think it's a great it's a great star wars light you know uh, it has a lot of the things we like. It has some great scenes. It has some great worlds. It has really great characters. It has a lot of aliens. Uh, and it's a whole branch for us old Star Wars people that hasn't really been discovered entirely. You know, we have the story of the Mandalorians from uh, Rebels and from everything that Sabine's doing in that. But at the same time, there's even confusion as to, like, 
why the fucking Boa Fett and, and, and Jango Fett have Mandalorian armor, you know? Like, there's all this lore and all this stuff, and it's cool looking, and, like, it has all these gadgets, and it's, like, mysterious. So th- these are reasons as to why people are going to get into it. And then not to mention what they did with Baby Yoda. I mean, it's pretty fucking awesome. So it's 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 something for everyone it's literally for eight-year-olds dude this one i mean it's very star wars light and i think it's great and i think it's fun uh, that's all i don't think it's the best star wars production we've ever seen in our lives i think they were limited and i think it could have been a lot better with the tools they were given and you're right the story does fall off a little bit but i'm really looking forward for the next season i mean there's a lot of shit going on like and the thing is there's going to be what how many seasons of this there's going to be one more, um, but until they start boosting the star power, uh, narrative power, and really get a serialized story going, I mean, again, dude, I have to start the Witcher comparison, which is my fear about... It's not, fair, it's not a fair comparison. But just well, hold on. Fair, fair. The Mandalorian was supposed to be a serialized story from beginning to end about this guy, and it ended up being, we're going to save this village, and we're going to have this adventure. It was very Firefly. You know, it was like, you know, Space Pirate Adventure of the Week. And my fear about The Witcher was, starting with The Last Wish and Sword of Destiny, even though I love those books, is that they're short story books, and they found a way to serialize that, and yet The Mandalorian ended up being, it looked like it was going to be the, the basically Geralt series story, but with Mando and Baby Yoda. I thought that's, I thought he was going into the full dead mode, and it was gonna be about protecting this young Jedi. I was like, oh, I'm so in on this, and then no. He was just sipping tea with the kids. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's not perfect. It's not the best Star Wars. Well, no, so let's, let's, let's back up. Let's back up. Uh, again, I want to understand it. So, obviously, the Deborah Chow episode three, where all the Mandalorians come in, and you're going, is there any way Tia Serka or Katie Sackhoff's, you know, turning up here? But nevertheless, it, that was what they hired Jon Favreau for, Sammy. We talked about this a year ago on the podcast. We said they hired Jon Favreau because he knows how to make great Marvel movies, but he knows how to do jetpacks. And all of a sudden, you combine that with Deborah Chow's brilliant direction, an episode without much talking, where you can totally see behind the mask that Mando is going, I'm not going to let this kid die, and I'm going to murder everyone, which is exactly Geralt's attitude towards Siri. And the fact that they established that in The Witcher with one second, and now it's going into full force for like five more seasons of Geralt murdering everyone getting in the way of Siri, that's what people want to see. The People want to see dead... Uh, uh, son and dad daughter stories and they just teased it with baby yoda look i I, i've joked that people are using baby yoda as a crutch to justify that it's a good show or why they like the show that's a totally fine reason to watch it i love it and i send it to my mom but the fact that my mom loves baby yoda and gets the cultural references but still has no interest in the show i think you know is indicative because my mom has seen all the movies and by the way not only loves rogue one like me she loves all the movies and she really liked rise of skywalker Unfortunately, it's very form, formula, formulatic. What's, what's the word? It's a, there's a formula that they used to make this show what it is. And in the end, 
that's what it is. And I think I don't think we were necessarily disagreeing. I thought we just I thought you actually hated it. Which no, I can't believe you didn't finish it. No, that's I just of, think that's it's a little hard. weird. When I see scenes with Meg not being written for badly on sand dunes that look like the Dune crappy TV miniseries and sci-fi, like it just looked bad. It looked unprofessional. It was sloppy. There was not enough dialogue, or there was too much. There was the Hayden Christensen wannabe kid, and I never. Ever thought I wanted Hayden on screen so badly instead of that kid? I was like, oh my god, this is a way, oh, the- way, way less charismatic and interesting ca- Hayden. Please just put Hayden. And then there was a gift the next day about having the high ground on the dune in that same scene. I was like, okay, I'm not the <laughs> only one uh, the thinking about this. It was poorly cast. They misused the cast. It, look, my fear was Pedro Pascal and MMA woman and, uh, and Apollo Creed were not going to be able to carry a series and i would i would argue i i would dare you to prove me wrong that those three were really able to carry the series from beginning to end but it's not fair because they came in and out mando's behind the mask and they decided starting with the bryce <laughs> look dude i'm all, you know i'm all about women i mean the witcher is almost all women i i, I in terms of direction and writing, it's a lot of the best Jessica Jones and Defenders and other Netflix writers up in there, and they are fucking killing it. But Deborah Chow with episode three, with the Mando rescue, with the Mando army, ran circles around Bryce Dallas Howard, whose first directorial debut was episode four, which is, let's be honest, Simmy, the three amigos, let's teach the poor villagers how to defend themselves against the banditos. I mean, it was unbelievable. It was I know that's based on the Magnificent Seven is like an old Western cliche, but to give that to Bryce Dallas Howard with sob stories with the kid and a romance with the local woman wanting to take the mask off, I I just couldn't take it seriously. Um, But again... My favorite's Rogue One, and the people who don't like Rogue One, I just talked to a friend of mine tonight who doesn't like Rogue One, it's underacting, no performance, no emotion, so, you know, maybe my tastes are just different in that, but the difference between young Deborah Chow, who actually has some experience with J.J. and so forth, killing it in three, and Bryce Dallas Howard, daughter of Ron Howard, yes doing a piss-poor job of a Firefly episode that had been done a million times better by Firefly in old westerns um, it was very glaring. And by the time we got to five, and it, it was obvious they were veering off in different courses, I just... For eight episodes, I don't know why you don't serialize it. I mean, again, the Witcher people bent over backwards to serialize non-serial material to get to season two, which is now serialized all the way to the end. And if Mandalorian wants to go past the second season, Simi, you have to admit, uh, whether it's, you know, fucking... I'm trying to think of shows that we've both watched. Um, Battlestar, right? I mean, Battlestar season one, super fun. But it's not until the fleet divides and everything goes crazy on Cobalt in season two of Battlestar. You're like, okay, episode to episode, like, you know, people getting murdered, like, you know, the Arrow of Apollo, you know, Starbuck being crazy Starbuck. Like, you know, that's when it takes off in season two. The Witcher's already set up to do that. 
I wanted Mando to do that right away. You know, my one of my many wrong predictions about Mandalorian uh, season one <laughs> was that it was going to be about the Mandalorians because let's be honest, I mean, in the Clone Wars and Rebels and the other literature, we're being not only taught about the Mandalorians but love Sabine and Satine and Bo-Katan and so forth. You know, they're our favorite. We talked about this in previous episodes. We're like, oh, the, you know, Sabine, you know, Sabine is the real Mandalorian. Uh, my wrong prediction, and again, Mia culpa. I'm taking Mia culpa's as well as right prediction. Mia culpa. I thought by episode five or six out of eight, they would go back to Mandalore for sure, or at least engage in Mandalorian politics. And the fact that it is another Boba Fett who's wearing a Mandalorian suit that has nothing to do with all the things I like about Mandalore, Ahsoka, Darth Maul, it just infuriates me, but it's really about the fact that I just think it's a mediocre production. It's hard to argue with that. I mean, the th- I mean, let's let I, me I parse it. Let me parse it. I, Wait, hold on. Let me parse it. Let me parse it. Because I, I, I want to hone in on things that you do like, and but I also want to hone in on things that I know you agree with me. So let's start with let's start with the negative first, with the stuff you agree with me, which is I know you agree with me that whether it's Sabine or not, or Bo-Katan or not, we wanted that sort of Mandalorian in numbers as part of this show, and not just a single lone wolf based on our love of rebels and clone wars right i mean we would be lying to ourselves and everybody else if we said that simmy i think it's frustrating for people like us who are into the new canon that it doesn't have anything to do with the new canon and i think we were really excited for it to have something to do with the new canon because there is in mandalore it's it's very there's a lot of shit that happened and like we got to see it in the in in kind of like their glory in the clone wars um so i don't know i just you know it's a little frustrating yeah it really has nothing to do with mandalorians it has to do with like a whole like lost tribe of what's left of them you know after the after the war so it's sad and it's annoying and yeah it's this whole new thing and it's not you know, here's the thing. I think the productions, I think production value was incredible. I think the the costuming, the world. Oh, it's also what you like. It's also what you like. We can all it's agree the de- hold on. It we can all agree awesome. the Deborah Chow episode three giant Mandalorian rescue army was amazing. So yeah. for for the final five episodes, what's and, and I'm not going to mock it because I wasn't even paying that much attention. Again, it's more indifference than disliking um, what whatsoever. You know, I love Star Wars. I'm always looking for a reason to love Star Wars. So for those final five episodes, starting with the you know the village defense with Bryce Dallas Howard, and then some of the other episodes, what were some things that that stuck out to you? And then I want to bridge into why you think this movie was so relatively successful across audiences but first you uh what else i like yeah yeah after the big mando rescue uh, you know which is when i thought i was bought in and then i lost interest after that sort of the final final half of the season what really stood out to you I mean, I thought I thought this isn't an accusation. I I actually want to know because I I, I respect your opinion literally more than any of these Star Wars super nerds out there. And I wasn't paying attention. I want to live vicariously through you because I wanted to love this show and I'm still open to loving this show. I think the storyline is good. You're right. It's not great. It's not like The Witcher. It's not as in-depth as The Witcher. Uh, like that doesn't matter. That's not what it's about. No, that, it, does, yeah. it does, though, because I think this has a lot to do with when these two things came out. If nothing was going on, 
I think maybe you would have appreciated it more, but it was at the height of a lot of things happening. So we get to have this, this podcast about these three things that have happened in the last two months. You know what I'm saying? So, so like the, the Mandalorian was like, you know, everything that's hot for, for a minute. And then the Witcher came out because it's the next new thing. So I think if they were a little bit more separate, maybe you would also not be as, you know, disappointed in the other one because I think there's value in the storyline. Oh, it's, it's way more complicated than that, Sammy, but that's fine. Give the storyline a seat. <clears throat> I like the bad guy. I think it's a cool storyline. Who's the bad I think guy? It, um, what's his name? Gus? The, yeah. Yeah. From, uh, from Breaking Bad. Love I forget him. his name. Giancarlo Esposito. (laughs) He's great in that. Um, In the episode, the the reckoning, like it's it's pretty cool. Like there's a lot. It's a whole. It's frustrating that it's a new. It's a new storyline. Has nothing to do with the old canon. It's just complete standalone. It's going to be 16 episodes. It's a half an hour each. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a light commitment. You know okay. what I mean? Like, okay. Can I throw something like, at you? Oh, I'm giving it a B minus. You know, I'm not saying it's the best thing ever. Sure. You know, am I happy it was made? Yes. Okay. Oh, I also like what they did okay. with the drawer. And I okay. like, uh, so I here's like some positivity. Was- here's some positivity. You ready? Here's some positivity. So other than Jedi Geek Girl, who was prepared to hate the show, she actually ended up liking it more than me uh, by quite a bit. Jedi Geek Girl was prepared to hate the show for servicing original trilogy fans and not, you know, it's tough with Jon Favreau because, dude, Jon Favreau was in the Clone Wars, you know, a very important bad guy in the Clone Wars, pre and he's friends with Lucas, you know, in addition to being Jon Favreau and Marvel guy, he is friends with Lucas and them, which helped get him the job. But the reason they paired him with Filoni is because he's been open that he's not a prequels fan. So somehow he's into Clone Wars. He's been in Clone Wars. He doesn't get the prequels. He's had to, you know, Dave Filoni's had to walk him down some some paths, you know, publicly where he starts talking about how he doesn't get the prequels. So already pre- prequel people like, you know, like Jaggy Girl, you know, Last Jedi, Raylo people who love the prequels already predisposed, blah, blah. Here's the thing, Simmy. Not only Jedi Geek Girl like it more, a ton of the Raylos love the show. So a lot of the hardcore fans who aren't just hardcore OT fans, but are just hardcore fans in general, love the show. I know almost nobody who dislikes The Mandalorian. And people were, were, there were many friends of mine who either agreed or could see why I didn't like Rise of Skywalker. I had almost no friends. Uh, and people, you know, were, were quite perplexed actually as to why I, I, I didn't like the Mandalorian. Um, and so I just want to say that like Rogue One, this show is tracking well across all audiences, ages, and levels of fandom. And that is phenomenal. I could not be happier. And I've told you, Simmy, that I wanted to live in a world where there was so much good Star Wars that I didn't have time or even the interest to consume it all. This is exhibit 1A of that. And so it actually makes me happier in a weird way because I got Jedi Fallen Order, which was a 30-hour amazing Star Wars video game experience, and I'm about to get Clone Wars, which is going to be unbelievable. And so I don't need everything. I read the Dr. Afro comics every month. She's amazing. I mean, Batgirl and Dr. Afro, guys, you want to know the best two comic book characters in runs 
in comics right now, young Barbara Gordon in DC Comics, Batgirl, and uh, Dr. Afra. Uh, <laughs> it's like Jin Erso gun, way Han Solo, but super evil, but hilarious. Uh, it, it, it's Star Wars with, with murderous bots and so forth. So I love the Star Wars, and so I am glad people are liking it. I'm worried that some of what I consider production problems spill over to the second seasons. I think they're going to fix it. I'm still perplexed because what I consider to be easily the worst written episodes are Dave Filoni episodes. And I think that's what disheartened me more than anything. And I'm wondering, you know, again, me being a giant Filoni fanboy um, and Homer... I think he's having... I thought Filoni was there to help Favreau, but I think Favreau's here to help Filoni, and Filoni's having a little bit of growing pains um, moving in into live action. Um, and by the way, dude, by the way, who else does 35-minute episodes, right? It's such a bizarre format. It's more than Rebels and Clone Wars, but it's way below Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, and, and The Witcher, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And... Yeah. and, and, and and dude, if this is Filoni, you know, getting ready to do a movie in a few years, then God bless everyone involved. But Simi, can I say the obvious? Deborah Chow didn't just do the best episode by far in one of the best episodes of TV period in episode three with the giant Mandalorian rescue. You know what her next project is? Show running Obi-Wan Kenobi. She is the Lauren Hissarik of the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, and she already had the job. She was immediately approved by Kathleen and Ewan to show run head honcho Obi-Wan Kenobi in the desert, probably with Ahsoka Tana. We'll get back to that later. So it's just interesting because Filoni's the hot star and no one heard of Deborah Chow except me because I'm obsessed with Jessica Jones and Filoni's having some growing pains and Deborah Chow's doing Obi-Wan Kenobi. So, you know, even where there's some weird setbacks in places in my mind, but they're progressive setbacks. And then we have Deborah Chow doing Obi-Wan, which you just know whenever it happens is going to be amazing. So again, I'm taking, I think I'm taking positivity out of something that I didn't love. All right, all right. You sound a little bit more positive than I expected, to be perfectly honest. And I love Baby Yoda. And between the Dark Crystal and Baby Yoda, puppeteering is back. And thank fucking God. Puppets are the best, you know? I mean, you can literally watch anything with the Muppets going back to the 70s, and it's all pure gold. Yeah, you're you're not wrong. Okay, so let me ask you some pointed questions. So... Favorite, so starting with the Bryce Dallas, let's, let's go second half of the season. So I'm ignoring the Bryce Dallas Howard village rescue thing. So the second half of the season, favorite moment or series of moments, episodes five to eight, the back half of the season for you. Uh, I really like what they did with the droid. I, I like how they reprogrammed the droid. The Taiko ITT uh, droid, IG, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that added some uh, some some character as you know beloved. You know, dr- yeah, yeah, I thought that was a little bit that was kind of fun, and I, I like we were just saying I love the bad guys. Uh, I love that they got. Um, I mean, he looks great in that costume. He flies in that fucking tie fighter, and like you know, it looks cool. 
Um, I like the toys that they used in it. Like they used a lot of fun toys. Those um, those speeders are fun. Uh, you know, for live action, I thought those looked really good. For the um, amount of marketing, uh, Daenerys that have come out of this, Disney has gotten very little criticized compared to normal because Simi, they, I mean, it's amazing. Between the Porgs and the Ewoks, you're going, Disney knows what they're doing with Baby Yoda, but they were prepared for the Baby Yoda demand. I mean, they had to, like, really step up production and reach out to other people to do Baby Yoda stuff. I mean, Star Wars does this all the time with licensing. That's what's brilliant, is they see what catches on, and then, you know, they license it out as long as they're, you know, overseeing it, and so you can get Baby Yoda legally. Like, you can actually get legal Baby Yoda stuff from a bunch of different companies. That's why, you know, Ashley Eckstein's her universe, and for, you know, companies like that exist from Disney's perspective. So the fact that they were actually underprepared for Baby Yoda shows a lack of cynicism in Disney that whether people knew that particular fact or not, I think carried over into the sense that whatever you think of Star Wars and blockbuster stuff and Disney stuff, there was something very true and sweet and uncynical about Baby Yoda. Forget how he looks, you know, just just the the the, the existence of this little puppet that's just standing there, watching everyone, drinking his tea, hanging out, occasional force powers. I mean, it's like, you know, it... (laughs) It's like he's like it's Groot. like it's like it, it, it's like what Chirrut would do if he didn't have to be a defender of the wills. You know what I mean? Just like he's sit like around. Groot. He's Groot. They took Groot like baby Groot, and they just made that. Yeah, it's a little Groot. It's a little Groot. It's a little Chirrut. It's a little mischievous Yoda. I mean, obviously, yeah. I mean, and the yeah. fact that everybody unanimously called him Baby Yoda before. You know, it was the child. I mean, nobody even discussed it. I think I called him Baby Yoda in my head, as I'm sure you did before everyone. And that just shows the power of Star Wars. That's it, you know? I mean, whether I agree that that should have carried the series or not, it's a spectacular accomplishment. And I just, that is a total Dave Filoni move. And so for all of his lackluster scripts, in my opinion, and not, seemingly not having as much control of the situation as I thought, the creation of Baby Yoda, which is for sure, I I can't imagine, is not from the Filoni camp. God, 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 bless Dave Filoni or whoever is behind that. So I, I'm 100% behind that. So, okay, a lot of feel good. couple things that you didn't like in the back half of the series. I I mean I don't like the length of the sh- of the shows at all. Like all through the whole series, like good or bad of the episodes. Thirty five like, minutes. Like it's so weird. I just feel like you can't. By the time you're into it, it's over. You know, so it's just it, you know we've changed the way we watch TV, and then this went against the grain of that as a whole. And it was like, and it was coming out once a week. You know, the whole that part of it, I didn't like at all. Like. Yeah, what do you think? Have. What do you think it is? I know we normally, you normally leave the, you know, s- systemic logistics box office stuff to me, and it's mostly interesting to me. But I would be interested in your opinion, e- even if it's out of left field. If you're, tr- but you do know Filoni well at this point in terms of a creative director. W- what do you think they're going for at thirty-five minutes? I-, I don't really know. I don't have an answer. I'm curious what, what you have to say. 
I think maybe they were worried about going over so much that their content wasn't as long. Like they were like, uh, how are we going to do this? Like I said, the stories, I give a C plus B minus, like to the depths of the stories themselves. Like they're good, but they're not great. And it ties it together. But I, I think I'm more into the design and the, and the characters individually, mm. uh, than, than the whole series itself. And I think that's what people are too. They just they find something to latch on to, and it's not necessarily about uh, what's happening in the in the background. It's it, you know maybe the same way I obsess about Ahsoka. You know, luckily for us, Ahsoka has a ton of content. But you know, maybe oh maybe- Ahsoka Tano, Sammy, we've got problems as you know. Although I'm not sure I want to bring it up on the podcast. You heard my insider feeling about it. I don't think it's a long-term problem, but I I follow these particular people closely, and I think what I told you in my voice message is is accurate. Um, uh, But but what we will have to say. Well, I think think what's really accurate is they can't... They want to finish Clone Wars before they they bring her out for anything. That's what I think. Yes. No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I was insane. They want to spotlight her there with this new Clone Wars now that there's a whole new venue to view Clone Wars, and now Clone Wars is going to get off the ground. Let's briefly jump. It's a TV show, by the way. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Forget about all this shit. Okay. Rather than just do one and then the other, we'll get a conversation going. Do you mind if I start the jump to Rise of Skywalker and we can go back and forth? Because I have lots of comparisons, which is. Yeah, no. I, uh, I, I, in my Ahsoka prediction podcast, which I love because I'm way off my rocker and I like, I like listening to that 20 minute discussion between us because you very clearly, uh, you know, uh, having not heard all my crazy theories, are able to get to the core of which ones make the most sense, which ones make less sense, you know, and which ones, or whatever. Um, you know, I like listening to that stuff as I try to get better. Um, but my main point actually, dude, listening back was actually not that I wanted Ahsoka pushed up, but that minus Carrie Fisher, who let's be honest, was kind of forced into this movie despite all the photo FX, you know, Mm -hmm. shenanigans or whatever, what just didn't really feel there to me was Carrie Fisher, I thought they they would for sure in an ideal world yes want to wait till after the Clone Wars till Cassian and or uh, you know Obi Wan but I, but but what I didn't realize Simi was that there was a rotten core of Rise of Skywalker that are having to do with Ray unconvincingly going dark I wanted Ray to go dark convincingly deeply and that to be the crux to expand her character fully three-dimensional, and the only way I could see to make that work where she could understand it and then come back was Ahsoka Tano. I, but I don't... I didn't know ahead of time. I couldn't realize how... Honestly, Simi... <laughs> let's put it this way. Once I saw Ashley Eckstein on the red carpet dressed like Ahsoka, I'm like, okay, there's no Ahsoka in the movie, other than maybe some voices. They wouldn't, you know. I mean, they're letting her strut around like I'm Ahsoka Tano. Great, Ashley, we love you. You're awesome. You're Ahsoka. Awesome. Uh, but I knew at that moment it wasn't going to happen before the movie. But it's 20 minutes in The Rise of Skywalker. I'm going, I hope I like this movie more than I do so far. But no matter what, this movie is not structured or specifically toned 
um, to handle any kind of deep, real deep spiritual Ahsoka Tano stuff. And so I actually don't want it to happen. I said this very early in the movie to myself, and you'll just have to believe me, and you know me well enough to know this is the case. It wasn't it just that the movie was unworthy, but it just wouldn't have fit with the tone and vibe and bizarre pacing of the movie with Ahsoka Tano. But if they had structured it around Ahsoka and Rey and Rey going dark, that would have been the movie. That's exactly why I thought Ahsoka was needed. This cast and the directors and writers just haven't been able to really pull off a home run in any of the movies, and I just felt like it was it was so exposed. And while uh, Mandalorian was going into new territories, new characters, new actors, and so they have more freedom, I would say, Simi, I'm going to stand by this, that Solo... And the, the, the anthology movies, Solo and Rogue One, combined with the Clone Wars and Rebels, have done an unbelievable amount of work in expanding what I think of an experience as the Star Wars universe. Whereas, uh, in the end, the three saga movies, and for me, The Mandalorian, are actually contracting uh, the bigness, um, mysteriousness... Um, and un, un, you know, un, un, unknownness of the Star Wars universe. It's actually making it less interesting and feeling smaller is the way I would separate between those two. And that might just be the way I am experiencing it. And so that's the connection I wanted to make early on between Rise of Skywalker and um, Mandalorian. Obviously, I sat through Rise of Skywalker... Uh, I have not seen it a second time, Simi. This is unprecedented for a J.J. Abrams Star Wars movie. I think I want to see it a second time in the theater. The the pacing was incoherent. Look, look. let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. I would rather it, uh, it, it, something be like The Mandalorian, where it's overly strung out like a slow cowboy drama. Even if I don't love the writing or how they string it out or like the exact pacing, I'd rather be slower and you linger on shots and you, and you, and, and look, you lean on your characters. Yes, it's Apollo Creed and MMA chick and, you know, uh, Pedro Pascal, uh, but they leaned on their actors and they mostly delivered, you know, and, and, and uh, Giancarlo and, and you know and, and Taika as the droid and so forth Baby Yoda they leaned on their actors which we're going to get to in The Witcher which is exactly what you need to do in these character based shows and so I guess what I'm saying is even though I sat through the two and a half hours of Rise of Skywalker and I sat through seven and a third of the eight episodes of The Mandalorian if I had to choose between the two in terms of pacing and just feel I would choose The Mandalorian even in what I consider its super flawed state any day of the week. Simi Klimo. I think the action, by the way, also in The Mandalorian was incredible. Like the fighting scenes with all the stormtroopers, like when they're stuck in that house, is pretty fucking cool. Uh, but listen, all together, the, 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 the last Skywalker, The Rise of Skywalker, was an okay movie. I think it was my second favorite in the series. Cause I, you know how much I don't like the last Jedi. No, I uh, don't. I, this is, uh, this is something we've never really discussed because you initially didn't like the last Jedi. I initially really liked the last Jedi. And then for a while it flipped 
and then we just didn't talk about no, 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 it for no, no, no. a while. I at least started to appreciate it. It still was You talked to me. It, no, no, no. In the initial Last Jedi, Sammy, I've listened to these podcasts. In the initial Last Jedi podcast, I was trying to convince you that it was a great movie. In the second right, Last right. Jedi podcast, I was losing faith, and you weren't saying it's the best ever, but you were even trying to pull me up, someone who had loved it, and making me realize the reasons I had liked it and why it's still good. So, yeah, we were on the same page, but I didn't realize you had come down to the the level of me and many of of my Star Wars people with The Last Jedi of, um, um, you know, just above prequel level or something like that. It, there's redeemable qualities in The Last Jedi. That's the thing. Yeah, like Luke the, and Ray. Luke and Ray. Everything with Luke and Ray is with gold. Is great. The, la- the thing that the the, the, the trick that that, uh, that 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 Luke does is astral incredible. projection. I mean, it's amazing. And then I love the fact that uh, the dogs lead them to the way out. That's very you know rebel. The silver fox. The, like, the silver foxes. Right yep. Yeah. So. You know, there, there's redeemable qualities, but it was definitely like I was hoping that. I think this one is better. Here's the than problem, Simmy. Here's the problem. Here's yes. let me break down the last Jedi. Let me break down the last Jedi. You ready? You ready? Here it comes, and this is gonna lead right into Rise Skywalker. Okay, what worked most or all the time in Last Jedi? Three things: Kylo Ren, Rey, and Luke Skywalker. Right? First movie, Force Awakens. What worked all the time? Han Solo, Kylo Ren. And Ray, right? So, what's the problem here? The problem is, Oscar Isaac is an Oscar nominated. Oscar Isaac is an Oscar nominated actor and can play almost any role amazingly. John Boyega, well, I have no idea his future, is perfectly cast as Finn in exactly the jolt of energy and sort of naturalism that the movie needs, and yet they were okay written in Force Awakens and really poorly written in The Last Jedi. So everyone's like, okay, J.J.'s going to write a ton for John Boyega and, and, and uh, as Finn and Oscar Isaac as Poe. And you know what? He, he did. But it didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't work. Poe as the front man, I hate to say it, it did not work. It didn't work. It was still the most gripping, even with the bad writing and the spoiler. Emperor Palpatine stuff, Simi, disappointed. All our predictions were wrong. We thought Palpatine would be gone early. We thought it would be about something else. But to be, uh, you know, just Return of the Jedi on acid and crystal meth, essentially, it is kind of my worst nightmare. But because of Ian McDermott's amazing performance and sort of the the Greek chorus of Palpatine's and how it was framed, I actually liked how twisted that was because it's very Ghost in the Shell. He's plugged in just like when they're rebooting, you know, one of the cyborgs from Ghost in the Shell. Like, I love all that stuff. And so I ended up, you know, liking it sort of visually. But God was a cringeworthy, and and I'm not saying it was the wrong move to give Poe and Finn way more screen time, but it just didn't click in Simi. The problem is, we may not love The Last Jedi, but I definitely like The Last Jedi better than this movie. But on top of that, Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams just did not communicate about their characters, because honestly, what J.J. did with Poe and Rose and Finn 
was not great. But what JJ did with Ray and the the Ray Skywalker thing that everyone is jizzing over, I fucking hate. I loved the definitive she's a nobody in Ryan Johnson. They shat on that. They made fun of other things. Honestly, I'm not generally a Ryan Johnson last Jedi defender, but there were things in this movie which I was like it's not that this is disrespectful, but it's that Ryan Johnson actually, this is one of the things he did well, and now you're shitting on it or just ignoring it. And so I'm sort of back on the Ryan Johnson bandwagon to the extent that I think a deep Star Wars movie having to do with the Force and spiritualism is definitely not something J.J. Abrams can handle. Is possibly something Ryan Johnson can handle. I mean, there's a lot to unpack with what you just said. So I'm going to just get into... Do you like Rise of Skywalker right now better than The Last Jedi? Yes. Okay. We we fundamentally disagree on this, and because... But I think we both need to... But I don't think it's fair to say this right now, because... Oh, no, it's, it's fair. A, it's, it's very fair. It's, no, we have to watch it again. No, no, I've watched these movies a thousand... No. times and that's what makes it star wars nope. i mean that's what makes me get into it nope so like i definitely i almost went and saw it the other day again and i couldn't my wife almost agreed to go to it but we're gonna go see it again and my only problem was i feel like i feel like it was definitely two movies and i feel like they rushed certain segments of it that like really star trek into prepared. darkness which was jj's second star trek effort which was way inferior yeah, to the yeah, reboot i, I totally Totally, totally. Yeah, I didn't like that movie at all. Absolutely. <laughs> I didn't like Into Darkness. Because remember how one of the awesomest parts of the Star Trek reboot was Kirk gets his ass kicked in the bar and he's bleeding on the floor and Christopher Pike comes in and he recognizes oh, him. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Christopher Pike comes in and recognizes Kirk's bloody face on the floor. And he says, I couldn't believe it when I looked you up. You know, you, you, you know, you're you're constantly in jail, but you're like one of the smartest people on the planet. And, and what are you doing? Like, I dare you to do better. Join Starfleet. Get your ass into Starfleet. He's Kirk's biggest supporter. He specifically supports Kirk because of his unorthodox ways, and it's because of Kirk's unorthodox ways that he overtakes Spock's overly rational ways, and they don't beat the fucking Romulans in the end without Kirk being captain. That's the whole point. His uh, Starfleet is complacent and is playing things by the book, and when they face a great enemy, Simi, they get their ass fucking hand it to them and they fucking destroy Vulcan right and what happens at the beginning of Into Darkness the second Star Trek movie Christopher Pike immediately turns on Chris Pine for espousing all the things that he claimed to love in the first movie he's like oh you're so unorthodox and you're always ignoring rules Kirk and you know the prime directive and blah so they completely change everybody's character, and then they kill Christopher Pike. And, and I'm saying from that moment on, Into Darkness, I'm going, because I love this cast and because I love Star Trek, I'm going to rewatch this movie occasionally. <laughs> but I can already tell this is not going past C plus B minus territory. What I was going to say to me is, like, Last Jedi can float between A and B or even B minus or whatever and float back and forth. But that's a floatable territory. But coming out with a C or C plus at best in my mind with Rise of Skywalker, there's no way it's going to jump anywhere near Last Jedi or definitely Solo. Obviously, Rogue One and Force Awakens. You're not wrong. You're just an asshole. No, you're not wrong. It 
It's not a great movie, but I I liked it. I mean, I still liked it. Um, but what you're worked? right. I didn't... What worked? What worked? Talk about what worked. What worked? I thought. Worked the, just for you. I thought not, not I big thought picture. Switch, just what worked I for you. This, I I got you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Give me give, give me a second. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. The. I love the the fake switch of Chewbacca's death. I thought I thought that that was that was really good because I thought they might. I thought it was very palatable that they were going to kill Chewbacca off. So that little switcheroo was, you know, pretty good. I thought that was interesting. I I didn't mind the whole crew coming together on the ship because. I, I like all those personalities. You're not wrong about the lead of Poe being a little whatever, but I like that. Uh, oh, he was flirting know. with Ray in the beginning. It's, another, sorry, another wrong prediction was I was convinced they were going to at least tease a future romance between Ray and Poe because they had such great chemistry at the end of The Last Jedi. At the beginning of this movie, they're flirting with each other, and then all of a sudden, Ray's obsessed with Kylo, and Poe's flirting with other women. And I'm like, nope, another wasted opportunity. Agreed. Uh, I don't like... It's Han Leia, right? It's exactly Han Leia. She's Leia, and he's Han. And I hated the... I hated the... I hated the end. I I thought it was... But also, I need to see this again because... My experience was actually literally ruined. I have to, I have to, I have to share this with our listeners. Yeah, go. Uh, someone was literally screaming during peak portions of the of of the climax. Irredeemable, irredeemable. Fuck him. Like about Kylo Ren. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't you. Literally. No, it wasn't me because I'm a fucking respectful human being, you know. Like, like. Oh, Simi! Oh, stop! 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 I fucked up! I fucked up! I fucked up! I buried the lead! I fucked up! I fucked up! Please forgive me, Simi. Forgive me for my fucking up as a host, and forgive me what I'm about to say. The one thing I did not think JJ would be able to pull off. And yet, the one thing that the Raylos don't seem to appreciate, who hate the movie, is that the, the highest level of difficulty thing that J.J. Pilaf was a convincing, full-on Ben Redemption, Bendemption, and I told you they were going to kiss Simmy. I told you they were going to kiss. I told you. I told you. I told you. And it was a sweet kiss. And then he died. I loved it. It was my favorite part of the movie because I'm always on the fence, as you know, with Raylo. And I thought JJ was able to nail Bendemption and the Raylo moment. Simmy, I have to ask you. You can start with the overall Bendemption or you can start off with the Raylo uh, kiss. I-, I have to hear you on this. So, again, they ruined the scene for me, these people. So, I need, like, literally, I was turning around, and I said, shut the fuck up, and I missed, and then all of a sudden, they were kissing. So, I kind of missed. America loved it, by the way. America rolled their eyes, but then they went, aw, at the same time. So, here's the thing. This is the sexualized version of, of, of Vader and Luke, you know, at the end. You know, the hug, the... What do you mean? 
you're gonna be fine. It's too We're late gonna for go. Me. Yeah, it's yeah. It's 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 it. That's what it was. You this already is have. The version, like as if as Tell if your as if he was being as if he was being taken over by a uh, an alien invading his brain. Uh, and they sucked the alien out of him, and all of a sudden he was the person, the good person that he always was, and that and that's yeah. what they were trying, like as if as if the night with Luke never happened, and all of his sins are absolved. So I get it, but like I really didn't like it. I mean, like couldn't they have just hugged? You know what I mean? Like because like the crowd like, wanted I, them to kiss. Still, I am telling you, matter. the crowd. Did still kill I saw this friend. with average uh, American. Horrible. We like Star Wars, and they were having a blast, and they were cheering, and they jeered at the bad jokes and the corny lines. It's part of the Star Wars experience, man. So, but I'm yeah, telling you, I could feel. I could feel it in the crowd. I'm going. I knew it. I knew it was. Ha- I me personally, I'm like, oh, they're gonna kiss. I can't wait to see what the crowd and the crowd like laughed, but it was like it was like a laugh during like a romantic comedy cast. Like it, people wanted it. People are definitely responding positively to it, dude. Average American love Kylo Ren as a bad guy, but as son of Han Solo and Leia and someone who'd been manipulated and to- you know and tormented and was clearly showing torment, people were rooting like Vader to turn and Simi through three movies. Adam Driver sold a thousand more reasons why his turn is more believable and more admirable than Vader's. Vader is a horrible bad guy until two seconds, and then he dies immediately, and how easy it is to be like, you were right about me, I was good the whole time, until everything else, until the 95% of the rest of my life, and then for two seconds I was good. And then, But Kylo Ren actually went through an emotional journey, and so I am on board with it, and you could tell the here's the thing, dude. The actors wanted it. The actors at that moment, you could just tell wanted the kiss and they had that sweet smile afterwards. And so for no other reason, the sexual tension didn't go out. And then of course the Raylos complained that then Kylo died immediately. And what did I say to you, Simmy? I said the Raylos wanted in episode two across the stars secret wedding, Anakin Padme style, that they w- wanted it. And I wasn't joking. And the fact that he dies and they don't end up living together after JJ did the impossible, which nobody thought he could do with Ben Demption and the Ray Locus, but then they kill him. And so all of a sudden it's the worst thing ever. I, I mean, I have to say, as someone who didn't love the movie, the specific criticisms from certain super fans, specifically the Raylos, I, I I cannot sympathize with whatsoever on this particular point. You got everything you wanted, Raylos. You got Ben Demption. He threw away the lightsaber. He talked to Han Solo, Simi. We got Harrison Ford. We got fucking Harrison Ford, which was awesome. In, in a repeat of the scene where he kills him, he throws it away. He gets a blue lightsaber, and then he goes to town. By the way, dude. By the way, did you notice there was a female Jedi who was using two light-colored lightsaber, light-colored lightsabers backwards, <laughs> dagger formation, like another female? Did you notice she was doing the dagger Ahsoka thing with with the two lightsabers holding it backwards? I mean, well, they were the definitely sam- teasing. The it. They were definitely teasing yes. it, and so I had to think of you with this. I guess what I'm saying is, I didn't think JJ would have the balls to go through with full Ben Demption and the Raylo kiss. 
but the fact that the Raylos are still highly unsatisfied, it just shows you how... It shows you those people are fucking idiots. And they should focus on other properties, guys, that aren't just Star Wars, which we're going to get to in a little bit, which is exactly why the Bizzle spreads his money around in terms of my fantasy and sci-fi semi for exactly this reason. But I will hey, say, I will another- say, I want to throw it to you, no, I want to throw it to you for more thoughts about the movie. I will say, nothing about my C-plus about the movie is because I was, like, disappointed about this happening or, you know, bummed about this not happening. I just thought the pace was way too frenetic when it shouldn't be. It was not frenetic enough when it should be. A thousand chips against a thousand chips was nowhere near as cool as it seemed on paper. The Palpatine thing was way too dominant. Um, But, again... Kylo and Rey, as I've been saying, with Han in the first, with Luke in the second, and with each other in this one, whatever you think of Kylo Ren and Ben Solo, the highlight of this series for me, and I could watch a supercut of just all their scenes in the three movies between Daisy Ridley as Rey, Kylo Ren, Adam Driver... I just want to give them a round of applause because, you know, if there's, I don't think this is a great series, but if there's anything great about the series, it, for me, it is Ray and Kylo Ren and the people that are involved in their lives. Go ahead. I could use more Rose, you know, a little more fit. It's, it's offensive. I mean, we just thought staring. they were just hiding her in the PR and marketing, but and then they wild. were like, oh, it just ended up on the cutting room floor. It's extremely offensive. They replaced her with, wow. like, a black woman who nobody cares about. Everyone's like, oh, she's the coolest. I'm like, why is she the coolest? She's not interesting. Sorry. Rose is interesting. Why is this not Rose? This is specifically supposed to be Rose. Finn's hanging out with this other chick. She's the main... Like, I I, I don't understand. Kathleen Kennedy has, has mostly... Buck to the haters and done whatever the fuck she wanted when it comes to people of color and women. So this makes no sense to me. If you have any thoughts about Rose, go ahead. I, I, I am no. I just, I just don't. I mean, I guess you're you're saying it's a replacement. I didn't necessarily notice that. I mean, I guess that's what it was. But I, I, I'm just, you know, couldn't she also have been there? You know, like, like they literally just were like, yeah, you can't come, bitch. She's like, I'm gonna stay behind and do nothing in this movie. Like literally, it was it was a little sad. I really like her, um, especially yeah. because, like Carrie Fisher, but she's so young. They keep giving Rose the ugliest clothes possible. When you see Kelly Marie Kelly Marie Tran decked out on the red carpet, or even just like walking around, she is stunning. I mean, Daisy Ridley is extremely pretty, very, 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 very pretty. Beautiful, pretty girl. Kelly Marie Tran is stunning. She's been in a bunch of, by the way, independent movies. She has the highest ceiling. This is my concern about John Boyega and Daisy Ridley, is they're excellent at their roles. Neither of them have been proven to be able to be a lead or even support in another major movie. Kelly Marie Tran's already doing it. We know Oscar Isaac's already a star. We know, obviously, Adam Driver is increasingly a star. Kelly Marie Tran is who I would put my money on, and so that is the thing that actually makes me not feel so bad, and I think she's almost happy to not be in the spotlight after The Last Jedi, ready to move on with her career. She's already had a ton of opportunities. You could tell she's given the worst material, and yet one of the most memorable performances in The Last Jedi just shows how great she is. 
love Kelly Marie Tran. This was stupid. And, you know, there, again, cracks and holes in Lucasfilm. I don't know. Maybe just some bad decision making. But you know what? When you have two white guys writing the script again, yet again with one of these movies, it's all white guys writing the script. Wah, wah. I just have to compare it to The Mandalorian where we get tons of women and people of color and The Witcher where we get tons of women and people of color. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) So, Simi, I find myself at a crossroads here because, I mean, look, the, the, let's be honest, The Mandalorian, widespread, mostly liked or loved by people and widespread, likely, widespread, liked or loved by critics. Right? Um, now, let's not forget the following. The Last Jedi has the highest critic rating of any of the movies, and Solo has one of the lowest critic ratings of any of the movies. Obviously, Solo has a much higher fan score across the board than The Last Jedi does, but we should note that. And we should note that, for the most part, seeing headlines from major publications like Vox.com along the lines of, Rise of Skywalker is, quote, a a failure and lack of imagination and so forth. I'm not even exaggerating this. And I was reading this going in because I'm impervious to this going, oh, there's no way this is true. But it's hard for me to argue. Now, The Mandalorian, I just don't happen to love where the imagination has gone so far, but there's definitely imagination. Rise of Skywalker was... You know, to quote John Steinbeck, who was quoting uh, William Shakespeare, sound and fury signifying nothing. Or to be less pretentious, lots and lots and lots of fireworks without much substance, in my opinion. Um, and that's that sort of the reputation Return of the Jedi has, but as you and I know, that's not true, especially when you're dealing with what's going on in the Death Star with Luke, Vader, and the Emperor. And they were nowhere near that here. So I'm on a crossroads because fans mostly, including my mom, including, you know, my buddy Smiley and like friends of mine who are casual Star Wars fans are like, you know, liking the movie. Um, the, the experience of friends of mine like Adam Dietz and Adam Tuckman who are, uh, you know, uh, uh, Star Wars fans specifically, um, you know, not necessarily like nerds across the board have had similar reactions where they really liked it. And then a couple of days later told me that they were reconsidering, but my guys on the saga continues and a lot of people loved it. Definitely the younger crowd, the Ray Lowe's in particular, uh, the terms with hardcore fans didn't love. Anyways, the point is mostly fans really liked Mandalorian. Mostly fans really liked Rise of Skywalker. And so I'm, I'm in a weird position here. But I also don't need to, I f- feel like I need to defend my position because you know me, Simi, and this is going to be the transition to The Witcher here, which is, and this is also how I've made my Ahsoka predictions in the past, which, because I'm going to talk about how The Witcher is my third major great prediction in the history of the Bizzlecast. And Ahsoka's one of them too, and you were there in your first podcast. But I can make these predictions because I love film and narrative storytelling, first and foremost, regardless of the property. And so I actually can obtain some, some objectivity, I think, at times. Because, you know, that's my Rogue One thing. Is Rogue One the best Star Wars movie? I don't know. I just think it is the best movie that takes place in the Star Wars universe. 
um, because I am a film guy first and foremost. And Simi, I was mostly let down with Rise of Skywalker as a film guy who likes J.J. Abrams a lot and likes Star Wars a lot. It, it didn't do anything for me. It wasn't memorable. Uh, Kylo and Rey had some great moments. The Emperor had some cool moments. But, like, for the most part... It, 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 you know, it, it justified people who bash on Disney's PG-13 fare all being the same, whether it's, you know, Pixar or a Mulan remake or a Lion King remake or an anything remake or a Marvel movie. I mean, this felt like a Marvel movie, dude. Let's be honest. This felt the most like a Marvel movie of the Star Wars movies. And I've been specifically happy that Star Wars has been taking chances that Marvel's not taking. And uh, this was disappointing. Uh, this was also another reason they should have gotten Joss Whedon to do this and, um, or instead of J.J. Abrams, whatever. That's a different story. Um, and, uh, you know, you might see Kevin Feige and the Russos in the future, you know, doing some of the stuff. Um, but I just, yeah, I, I agree. It was a failure of imagination. I mean, there was really nothing that stoked the brain. And even the things that I like about Kylo and Ray were totally totally sold through performance by the amazing Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver. I don't care that Daisy Ridley might never be a superstar again like this. And I don't care that everyone thinks Adam Driver's the next coming. I think he's pretty good. I don't think he's the next coming of Christian Bale or Daniel Day-Lewis. Sorry, guys. Spoiler alert. Um, but nevertheless, I do love those two together. It's undeniable they have great chemistry. And, you know, the kiss felt very natural to me. And so, again, it was sold through performance. And when, when, when all I can do is praise the movie was sold per, through performance because I love the actors, that's great. But it doesn't say much about the writing and direction and so forth. I didn't think it looked that good. I still think The Last Jedi, Solo, and Rogue One look better than this movie, to be honest with you. Maybe it's because they had to accomplish so many shots. I mean, Solo is, at this moment, Solo is the best looking of the new movies uh, in the epic scene, space scenes, I think. Um, and by the way, surprise, surprise, Simi, Solo and Rogue One keep climbing up people's lists after this and, you know, continued uh, revisitation and, and, and you know, increase, increasing skepticism about both Force Awakens and Last Jedi. All of a sudden, Solo and, and Rogue One creeping up people's lists. So welcome to the bandwagon, guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we called it a while ago. Um, but it, isn't it interesting, listen, Simi? Me, hold on, really quickly. Isn't it interesting? Let us say for the moment that Solo and Rogue One are the best of the five new movies. Let's just say that t- temporarily. Isn't it interesting? In one case, they fired a bunch of young directors, replaced them with the ultimate old-school Spielbergian director and Ron Howard who absolutely nailed the material and did a totally unique, quirky, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, vision of Solo that had his personal uh, fingerprints all over it in all the best ways. And in the other one, Gareth Edwards, who is of the same age of Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams, but has done almost nothing other than some indie horror movies, they give him a couple senior writers like Tony Gilroy, but they let Gareth direct it. He's done almost nothing. 
you know, JJ movies feel like JJ movies, Ryan movies feel like Ryan movies, but somehow Ron Howard with Solo, it felt like a solo movie, and Gareth Edwards with Rogue One, it felt like a Rogue One movie, right? I mean, I, I think if you're looking at the directors, to me, that's what it comes down to, is that the two anthology movies just felt like Star Wars movies, despite all the upheaval, and, you know, and so forth, that, that supposedly happened, and I think this shows, Sammy, that sometimes shaking things up is not the worst thing, and by the the way the witcher fired a number of senior people in costume and other areas going into season two this happens you make adjustments you know it doesn't mean it's horrible but sometimes having a perfect jj abrams movie production or a perfect ryan johnson movie production does not mean the movie's going to be perfect and sometimes shaking things up and getting some new directors and writers is what is needed i'm not saying that's what's happening um, but I will say, Simi, while Force Awakens and, and, and Rogue One are, are at the top, I, I, I think five years from now, of these five, it's going to be Rogue One at the top, and then Solo, and then Force Awakens, and then Last Jedi, and then Rise of Skywalker. I, I think the two anthology movies, for me, maybe even sooner than that, will have climbed to the top, because I like... We talk about this semi between episode three and four. The Dark Times is pure gold, whether it's Clone Wars or Rebels or Rogue One or Solo. You know, it just keeps being gold. And, and let's be honest, this whole First Order period and Snoke and stuff ended up being not that interesting. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, shout out for new hires to my boy Steven Feeder, who just started at Lucasfilms with Ryan as a producer under Ryan Johnson. I think we're going to expect great things from him. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's insider knowledge. That means the Johnson project is going forward definitively. Uh, it's in the papers already, that, that position. He hired three new producers uh, to Lucasfilm. About Ryan Johnson literally said nothing about Rise of Skywalker. That says it all. He did thank the fans. Well, he, said he, was, he said he was hiring them to Lucasfilms. I mean, that's, you know, in terms of who's working on things. But anyhow... Uh, I think as a whole, the movie was disappointing. I think the Mandalorian was a little disappointing. I think I tell myself to live life to lower expectations. Um, you know, I enjoy a lot of it in the moment. I'm going to go back and watch it more and more because I think that's what, you know, that's really why I like star Wars to watch it repetitively and to get into it a little bit more and look for other things. Um, so, and I like that there's new content because I find myself not bored with what's out there right now, but mm-hmm. you know, wanting new content now that it exists. So, like we always talk about, like a lot of us grew up with no thirst for new Star Wars because we didn't think that there ever would be more Star Star Wars. It was just the three, and that was it. And now there's this whole world to think of and to have fun. So now I find myself in that that Netflix, Hulu, uh, uh, HBO. Uh, nexus of oh my god there's so much to watch what the fuck am I going to watch and I feel like this you know uh, first world problem person uh, with what oh my god what's the next and like me and my wife sit here what are we going to watch and I could watch Star Wars for the rest of my life on a desert island you know it's just um, so I do look forward to the new content I think you know I've gone back through Mandalorian almost twice and I really need to go see the movie again. There's, it, it was, it was just very fast. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of things going on in two and a half hours. 
I think it was easily a four-hour movie um, that they just, it like... It should have been. It should have been three hours like the fucking Avengers. That was a huge mistake. The whole thing that made... Movie. Hold on, hold on. They could the, make it two movies. Hold on. The thing that made Avengers Endgame work, dude, at three hours, three billion dollars, is they were able to spend the first 40, 45 minutes with the original characters trying to reset the time loop. It was very depressing character study stuff. And then we got all the crazy timeline hijinks. But that didn't take place till like an hour plus into the movie. And then we could have the epic final battle. You could tell... You know, I mean, the problem is, is Poe and Finn are already so manic and hyper in their personalities, and then when you try and rush a movie and rush their lines, it, it just doesn't work. Yeah, agreed. That's why I that, I just felt like that first the first twenty minutes was really like an hour and a half that should have been. You know, like, and then all of a sudden you're like into it, you know, and it's like what just happened wait a minute so that's the other reason why i want to go back and see it and that annoying asshole who sat behind me ruining the experience so sammy you've been on enough podcasts with me that Mm -hmm. sometimes uh, most of the time i'm very blatant but sometimes Mm -hmm. i I leave a trail a, a scented trail and I, but I said this very blatantly to you in the same podcast where I talked excessively about The Witcher. This was about four months ago, I want to say. When did you talk obsessively? Dude, I got to go back and listen to these. I don't think you've ever mentioned The Witcher in anything we've ever talked no, about. No, no, no. It, it's funny how I haven't read it three times almost and been talking about it constantly for the last year over and over and over again. And Simi, you, you probably also didn't realize that I said directly to you and Jedi Geek Curl the following... That while I love Star Wars and it's my first love, as soon as I'm not liking Star Wars and I'm liking other properties, I will happily jump off the bandwagon and get back on when I'm good and ready. I said that to you, not jokingly, but seriously, I said that to you straight up to me like three months ago. I said that to you. You know what? You know what? And that's why you're the Bizzle and I'm the Star Wars, senior Star Wars correspondent. Exactly. I'm not not the senior. That's the thing you guys don't realize. It's not like Simi's the senior under me. Like, he's literally in charge of the Star Wars. Like, we were going to do Clone Wars commentaries and spoiler alert, guys, or or tease, I should say. Simi and I, Simi, really quickly as a sidebar, we have to mention Clone Wars is coming and so... While I have no idea what they're offering me between Clone Wars next month and Cassian and K2 like in a year and a half, like I don't know any Star Wars content, and that's part of the problem. Um, nevertheless, we all agree Clone Wars is going to be like seven Grand Slams or however many episodes it is, 12 Grand Slams out of the park um, uh, with not just Ahsoka, but the clones and Anakin and Obi-Wan and Padme and so forth, man. Um, but we have been trying to close the loop on both Rebels and Clone Wars. But because it's the Clone Wars final season, Simi, we want to do the Baby Jedi episode with Ahsoka in the final season. But it's not a priority if we only have one more session together. The priority is, guys, I'll mention this at the end, I'll put in the copy, we are definitely doing the final four or five episodes of, I mean... Technically, there's a sixth season of Clone Wars, but what I consider the main five seasons of Clone Wars, the final five episodes 
as Ahsoka being falsely accused of murder with Asaz Ventress and Barris and the council and, and, and so forth. And that's what really drives Anakin crazy, right? But specifically right. because that leads directly into the Siege of Mandalore. And so we have to do that commentary. I, now, I would love to promise that we will do World Between Worlds because it is just one episode. The bottom line is, though, man, in terms of chronology and direct relevance to the Clone Wars Returns final season, I think the priority... Uh, is in this little sidebar to, to, to lighten the tension and talk about the future of what's great about Star Wars. I think we should, if we only have one more session between now and the Clone Wars, I think we got to do those final four or five episodes. Your thought? Um, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we, we, we should either jump to the finish Rebels and just finish it with three episodes with the uh, world between worlds and just, you know, jump to that and then jump to the Ahsoka arc uh, there. If we can fit it in, I mean, it's going to be tough, but yeah, I mean, like you said in that text message, if we're not, if we're not talking about Ahsoka, then what are we doing leading up to clone wars? Uh, yeah. What's the release date again for our fans? And uh, I don't know. I don't, they, they keep saying early February or something. Um, so anyway, so Sammy, I mean, if anything, if if Ahsoka is going to have a more substantive live-action appearance in Cassian and or Obi-Wan, that would be, I know it's way down the road, that would be the time to revisit Mortis, uh, World Between Worlds, and the sort of headier force uh, spirituality Mm. uh, things. Because she's just straight up fighting Darth Maul here. You know, I mean, you know, it's not that she's not drawing from her spiritual reserves, but nevertheless, anyways, guys, we will be doing Clone Wars commentaries and we'll finish the Rebels commentary. So, okay, Simi. So I told you very specifically in, in, in no two ways about it in the same podcast where I, I it was it was my biggest pitch to you right when you were about to finally buy in. I gave you my biggest, most emotional Witcher pitch in that same podcast. I went to great lengths to tell you to be prepared for me to jump the wagon when it comes to Star Wars, especially if I'm not loving it and especially if something else comes along. Can you at least confirm that this discussion happened? And guys, I'll you can check the tape if not. So I am... Uh, three books deep already. Uh, Just a yes or no. Yes so or no. Obviously- I warned you. I warned you. I warned you this was going to happen. I specific. And again, Calm not, down. not Calm just down. you. No, no, no. Not just you, but the, the listeners. Guys, if you did not notice that about six to eight months ago, I started pivoting heavily towards The Witcher and away from Star Wars whenever I could, including doing live video game footage and streaming and stuff that I don't normally <laughs> do, you know, because I love it that much and, and reading it over and over again, you know, doing giant trailer breakdowns, breaking down news, scouting all the actors and actresses. And Simi. I am here to tell you, with The Witcher, the biggest show in the world, and, you know, toss a coin to your Witcher, depending on how you count all the covers and the reposts, seems like it has about half a billion, it's not a joke, hits online. Now, you know. No, it's, it's funny. I, I look at my Facebook feed, and, and slowly but surely I start to see references um, to The Witcher, and I always laugh when it's actually not you. 
because nine out of ten of them, it's you. But then all of a sudden, not anymore. Slowly, not anymore. Not anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's what yeah. I'm saying. It's almost like um, you know, I I'm not this like huge, you know, uh, media social media person, but I do have a solid Facebook of people that I actually know in real life, and it's fun to that they still participate because we're all still kind of the same age. But slowly but surely. It's starting to get into that. People at the office, I mentioned it to them. They start watching it because Netflix did do a good push on it. And slowly but surely, all of a sudden, it's mainstream. So, Jesse. Number one best-selling book in the country. I called it. I called it. Thank you, Simi. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah. So, I'm, I'm into it. I mean. Okay, wait. Hold on. Before we get there. Before we get there. Before we get there. Let me finish. Let me make some comments about it, and then you can get into it. So the one thing I will tell people who have a hard time with it, because it is all over the place, is the book's all over the place. So I'm also looking forward to going back through the books as I've gone back through many different types of series to yeah, pick up on Which is great for selling books, books because, people want right. to, because people want to decipher the mystery, which is the point of the first couple books. It's, and now you can't even get a copy of The Last Wish anywhere. It's hilarious. So, so I, I really enjoy it. Um, I think the audible is also very uh, entertaining. Great. Uh, I'm on the fourth book. I think I did the... I did the unorthodox way of going through it. I saw I did Season of Storm as the third book. It doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter. Or second book? Second book. No, Season of Storm is the most recently written, but it's a prequel. It takes place during Sword of Destiny. It's it doesn't right. matter so, when you read that. What are the, it goes Last Witch, Season of Storm? The first two books written were The Last Wish and Sword of Destiny, the short stories. And then he went immediately into the five book series saga, Blood of Elves, Time of Contempt, which we're about to talk to. And the he then he didn't write books for a while because they were so perfect, in my opinion. And then he wrote Season of Storms a few years ago, which was just him doing, you know, his George Lucas prequel thing. I mean, much better than Lucas writing wise, but you know, where he just jumped back in, in literally the whole book is Geralt loses his swords. That, that that's the whole book. The whole book is Geralt loses the swords, and Dandelion's involved, and dwarves are involved, and Yennefer's involved. I mean, it's great. I mean, that's how great The Witcher is. You know, it's it's like the story I talk about in The Sword of Destiny that we didn't get to see, unfortunately, in season one because there's no time for it. Where it's, it's literally fun. Dandelion and Geralt and a dwarf and like a halfling and a changeling sitting in a bar and they find out the changeling's been fleecing everyone and so how can they get the the, the changeling out of town and themselves out of town without all getting murdered? I don't do a lot of seasons of The Witcher. I mean, they could do because it is it's They a actually said to me they're going to do at least one or two quote-unquote short story stories each season, which I love. I mean, it's just like they could do these they could do two uh two a thing. I guess you that's the problem. So yeah, it's all over the place. It's a ton of fun short stories, and like the characters are great. Um, I'll be honest. Uh, here's my here comes here comes. I've been waiting for this. Go ahead. I don't love Dandelion. I don't love his character. I, 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 the fact I that it's fifty fifty. Oh, I think it's actually sixty forty or seventy thirty. But let's put it this way. The fact that way more people like Jaskier, aka Dandelion, that I was expecting, I'm thrilled. I expected 
him to be as because er- you've read the books. He is way more annoying and arrogant in the books. He's well, at least trying like to be lovable like in Chuck the TV yet. series. In the books, he's so arrogant and annoying. I, and I thought, oh my god, if they're loyal to, so they they had to soften his character. Uh, I personally think his comedic timing is absolutely brilliant and on point. But his the whole point of the character of Dandelion is the anno- is the annoying bard to some people and the lovable bard to others. Like that's the point of his character. Yeah, I just uh, you know I guess that's also the problem with like a I mean it's not a true red herring, but you know you have expectations of characters based on well, your own. I mean, look, you know. l- let me just throw this out right now. Every single main character, every single one, Yennefer, who's acting like a selfish, spoiled asshole, Geralt, who's acting like a selfish asshole, Ciri, who's acting like a low girl, Jaskier, a.k.a. Dandelion, who's acting like a naive, you know, drunken, lascivious, you know, bard asshole. They all, in the blood of elves, which we're going to get to, Simi, I think is just the first half of next season, immediately take a time and maturity jump. It's only two or three years, but after everything they've been through, they immediately start acting more like adults. And I'm not well, th- they have more... They, in the stories, they also get more purpose. I mean, before they're all kind of wandering, and then they all fucking get it all of a sudden. Right, and but just Blood as an elves. example, just an example, the very first scene of Blood of Elves, which I think they're going to start with, is Dandelion performing in a glade... Um, of the Dryads, which is neutral territory, and there's this huge audience, and he's singing the tale of Yennefer and Geralt and Ciri, which is basically a recap of season one, and then there's this huge discussion between all the dwarves and the elves and the elf guardians and so forth about what's true, what's not, is Geralt real, is Ciri real, blah, 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 you know, and, and he talks about the role of a poet, and, you know, and blah, and blah, blah, but of course he gives out too much information, this is really the very beginning, it's not a spoiler, of course, you know, it seems just like a very cute Witcher scene where they're just hashing out, you know, philosophical stuff or, or whatever, cultural stuff. But it turns out he revealed way too much about Siri, and, and one of the many evil male sorcerers starts coming after him right after that and starts torturing him, and Yennefer has to save him, even though the two of them hate each other. So the start next season starts with Yennefer saving Dandelion and then them having a really sweet bonding kind of interaction. So, you know... <laughs> You're not supposed to like Yennefer, really, in the season one. Or, or you're at least supposed to think she's like a, a raging bitch or a selfish asshole or whatever. And Geralt's supposed to have some of that, too. Dandelion's not supposed to be lovable. Dandelion is always going to ha- have a little bit of that annoying uh, mischievous bard to him because that's part of his character. But all the characters take a major maturity leap because they suddenly realize that the world is at stake, basically the beginning of next season. Um, so we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, I think it's funny. I've been watching it with my wife, and she obviously – or I don't know why I'd said obviously. And she hasn't w- read the books yet. Um, I think she'd actually really like them. Uh, but uh, it was fun to, like, see what she thinks of Yennefer already. And, and, like, she's like, oh, that bitch. You know what I mean? Like, so she, she didn't like her. And then I didn't want to – I had to, like, keep my mouth shut because, like, I don't want to tell her too much about But That's you why know, you have Triss. That's why you everything. got Triss, baby. You got the white wizard, Triss Marigold. Uh, oh, man, she's so great. So another thing, I also think this is rushed. I, I think I think they could have spent a little bit – I think some sometimes – Eight I episodes. Felt, very intentional. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all this marketing shit. There's going to be more going forward. But, you know, like, you look at... I mean, like, we are... Do we need to keep saying spoiler alert or, like, to listen to this episode? Okay, okay, okay. All right, hold on, hold on. I mean, you need to have finished The Witcher? There's a couple couple levels here. I'll let you go. Okay, so so right now, guys, starting right now, we are assuming you have seen the entire first season. Okay. I think we we are also that. assuming I mean, maybe you have read The Last Wish and The Sword of Destiny. Spoiler alert, all the major plots having to do with Geralt and Ciri are taken directly, even though the timelines are mixed up. All the major plot lines having to do with Ciri and Geralt in particular are taken completely and extremely loyally from those two books. Um, right. But then, Simi, we are, at some point, we are going to put an extra spoiler warning on and talk about Blood of Elves, which is next season. But we're not there yet. Okay. So, so what, what does Raina think? What does Raina think? Because honestly, dude, I, as you know, I, there was a part of me a, a bunch of months back when I didn't know as much, when I thought they might skip or, or go th- quickly through these books and go immediately to Siri training and Care Moran and Blood of Elves with the Witchers. Um, just to get the whole Game of Thrones epic fantasy vibe. But you know what? I've been describing it to people, man. And I think this is an apt description. This season is The Hobbit, and the series saga is The Lord of the Rings. And I really hope that's the case because I don't. It is. You've read. Okay, whatever. Wait. I don't love. I don't. I didn't love it. Like, I thought it was good. That's fine. That's fine. You don't have to love it. You don't have to love it because these short stories should never work on television. They were not meant to work on television. Specifically, that's why I said the series saga was going to be the show. I didn't think they could pull this off whatsoever. And the fact that the Queen Kalinthi, you know, Dooney, Hedgehog, Pavetta, Crazy Marriage scene, I mean, that's my favorite. And the dragon episode is spectacular. They fucking did it. Yeah. The dragon episode is a spectacular. The, uh, the, I, I don't, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Queen Kalinthi of the non-main characters, Queen Kalinthi series, grandmama MVP mm-hmm. of the series. I, I mean, I, it, to me, it's not even close. Now the, the young, sexy male sorcerers who, you know, are going to be bad guys, but you still want to believe in because they're young, sexy male sorcerers uh, are excellent. And to who's Yennefer's teacher is amazing. And obviously Mausak, you know, the, the, the Druid who's advising Kalinthi and, and then becomes right. the double blah, blah. He's great. Queen Kalinthi covered in blood, defending his her daughter and granddaughter, and going through all that. Simi, you read that called a it's called <laughs> a question of price in the Last Wish, and you know how loyal that Dooney Hedgehog wedding craziness was to the book. How loyally they did that right. on screen. Right, they Isn't did a amazing? great job with that. They did a great job with it. But yeah, they it really shouldn't work. It shouldn't work. But here's the thing. My best case scenario was that most people were going to be seven and a half to eights on the first season and willing to watch season two because I knew as soon as we got to the series saga, all of a sudden, you know, you had kings here and mages there and, and knights here and huge battles and crazy magic, which they teased a lot in this season. But I knew once we got to the series saga, people would love it. But people are loving this season and particularly the characters, Simi, much more than I thought. Now, 
that's fine that you don't like Dandelion. You know, I specifically like Dandelion because he's an annoying asshole. Just like I no, specifically- I love his character. I don't like. I don't like it in the. I don't like it in the show. I love Dandelion. That's my problem. Well, I don't he has love- too much on his. He has too much on his shoulders, and that's why they take him out after six. And we'll see. We're going to see an older, uh, slightly wiser, but still dumbass Dandelion uh, because he needs to be Geralt's. Tr- tr- uh, uh, travel companion and actually when, when, uh, and this isn't a spoiler again it's the very beginning of next season when, when Yennefer saves him he th- he's thanking her profusely he says and Yennefer says no it's me who should thank you to say me and, and, and this is for real and and, and, and 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 Dandelion, aka Yaskier, says, "Why are you thanking me? I thought you hated me." And and Yennefer is like, "Well, I, I did, but then I realized <laughs> that you are the one person who is always with Geralt, who's accompanying him, who's keeping him company, and for lack of a better word, keeping him in touch with humanity. You know, um, and and so she ends up having actually a really soft spot for Dandelion against all odds." Do you remember um, why she doesn't like him? What's that? Do you remember why she doesn't like him? We saw in this season because they're competing for Geralt's affections. He thinks she's an different. evil witch, biatch, and you know she thinks. In the book, it's different, though. It is. Yeah, in the book, uh, her she uh, her the guys uh, rip open her dress and her tits are hanging out. Oh, yeah. yep. Yep, I, I brought that She's up on like, Twitter. I brought that up on Twitter. Be a gentleman and don't yep. look. And he's like, "Don't look." That's Those actually not why she hates him. Now. How could I not look? Are yeah, Yennefer's. Yennefer's, for better or worse, Yennefer is actually not that traumatized by that particular partial rape. Which, yeah, she was pissed in the book. She I mean, is I, pissed in the book, but that's not primarily why she. She just I finds know, him grating and annoying, like many do. Um, right. The point right. is, whether it's that or the other thing or both, it, she comes to appreciate that Geralt needs a friend. And even though Geralt says, you're not my friend, stay away from me, don't touch Roach, even though he's rubbing, you know, the chamomile on his butt or whatever, you know, it, it, it's obvious that Geralt needs a friend. And Geralt is so sociopathic that he needs someone as wacky and annoying and arrogant and weird and different as dandelion whether we like him or not doesn't matter he needs that travel companion and but but what becomes clear dude in 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 the seasons coming up is that dandelion is such a coward but because of his love for for Geralt and he wants to help siri by the way that's the other thing about dandelion is he becomes super loyal to siri as everybody does he forces himself into situations that are so dangerous and he should have no reason to be there and he has to talk himself and there's entire chapters where it's him talking himself up you know he's going to be this brave knight and three pages later he's like well the arrow's going to pierce my skull is it going to come out my left eye or my right eye you know what i mean like mm-hmm. it's, it's absolutely great the but the point is you've got to have a show i mean this is game of thrones you've got to have a show where you love characters who are hateable too in various ways but the difference is dude we are rooting for these main lead characters in the Witcher, and whether you know a lot about it or not, you can tell that the fates of Ciri, Yennefer, Dandelion, Triss, Geralt, and the other main characters are bound together, and they are generally trying to do the right thing. What people don't realize, man, is Vilgefortz, which I'm not going to say anything else until we get to the next spoiler <laughs> section. Uh, Vilgefortz. That's all I'm going to say. But 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 
But but if you guys are invested in Siri, first of all, the reason I do my Siri impression, guys, I'm Siri and I'm going to be a witcher. I'm going to be the best witcher of all the witchers is because immediately next season, as, as, as you know, she's in care more and trading with the witchers. All of a sudden, you know, a shy, scared little princess in the forest, Siri, is cocky. She's covered in scars from fighting. She's doing cartwheels. She's fighting with two swords. The witchers are training her ass off. She's taking all these herbs and, like, you know, and she's all of a sudden confident and cocky and never stops talking and asks all the weird questions. And even when Geralt tells her to shut up, she doesn't shut up. And, dude, I have been comparing Siri combination of ahsoka and ray but specifically ray and i think ultimately siri going forward what people are going to fall in love with is what they fell in love with ray but if ray could get a full series of books where her dark side and complicated side could fully be explored you know i mean it's not too much of a spoiler guys siri is is trained is being trained by yennefer and Geralt, but she somewhat quickly ends up on the run again over and over again in different situations having to fend for herself and them trying to find her because that's what destiny wants to do is fuck with everybody's intentions and so she you know she does find herself in some very dark situations um but like ray she has an unbelievably good heart deep down and she actually makes a lot of mistakes because of her good heart trying to defend people, but she wants to be better. And she always wants to be better so that she can help her friends and she can help the world um, and, and so forth. And I think that's what was great about Ray was that, you know, whatever mistake she made or, or almost made or thought about making or whatever, you knew deep down her heart was good, but it didn't make her character less complicated. And it's nice that Siri has five, six, seven books, right? Right, Sammy, to, to be able to flesh that out a little bit more. <laughs> I mean, there's so much content. I just, uh, I'm, I mean, I haven't even read half the series, and I'm, I'm, I'm the fourth book. You know what I mean? My fourth book in the series, and there's still another four books, isn't there? Okay, let, can, let me ask you a couple quick incredible. questions about the first season, and then we'll do some yeah. speculation about next season. You ready? Shoot. Rapid fire. So everybody from the director, uh, the the showrunner Lauren Hisrick, to the uh, po- the Polish executive producer whose name I forget, to Henry Cavill, were saying everyone's great in this production, but it's going to be obvious coming out of season one that Anya Chalotra as uh, Yennefer is the star of the series. I felt that way ahead of time based on videos, photos, interviews, and so forth. You know I have a feeling about this stuff. Oh, and this is where I got to say it, Simi. I've made three, I think, great predictions on the Bizzlecast. A lot of bad ones. I made three great predictions. <laughs> the first one, of course, was in the very beginning of the Bizzlecast, right after a movie called Avengers Age of Ultron came out. Right after a young actress named Elizabeth Olsen, and the very first time I saw Age of Ultron in like my fifth podcast in 2015, I came on and did multiple Elizabeth Olsen podcasts. I said, I know she's an Olsen sister. She's done nothing. This is the next thing, both in acting, but specifically in terms of her character and her acting and, and, and so forth in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And Simi, based on the fact they're fast-tracking WandaVision and they're making her more and more of a co-lead in Doctor Strange, which you and I agree is maybe the most interesting property uh, coming out in the next couple of years, I'm feeling pretty good about the Elizabeth Olsen prediction. She's the Ray at the moment. I mean, she's way darker. But in terms of her knowledge and involvement and what's going on, she's the Ray. 
Let's go. My first. The second one was all my Ahsoka predictions having to do with time travel and the Siege of Mandalore and all that stuff. That was on the first podcast. I've talked about this plenty when, when you were on it. I was very inspired, I suppose, to me having you on that I made all those predictions. Now, I was writing my Ahsoka time travel story with Obi-Wan at the time, which is part of why I talked about it. But the Siege of Mandalore thing, I'd only recently, you know, done the Ahsoka book and I put all the facts together that I felt like Siege of Mandalore was for sure going to happen. That was my second great prediction. World be- was essentially the world between worlds. Especially because I'm a fantasy guy, Simi, and the world between worlds tends to be a fantasy concept. Actually, not a science fiction concept. My third mm-hmm. was The Witcher. I was convinced a year ago that if this was given even pretty good treatment on Netflix, this was going to blow the world away. Because as I've been saying, Simi, and I, I guess I'll throw it to you on this, it's a little early, but you... <laughs> Without revealing Blood of Elves, but you now are in the series saga, so you know what I'm talking about. It's more linear. It's a straight-up fantasy epic. You know, it jumps between a lot of characters, but it's more in the Game of Thrones mm-hmm. model. For me, with the smaller cast, but still epic scale, but characters that I'm really rooting for, and even when they're doing bad things, like Yennefer, I know that they have a good heart because of how they're introduced and just how the, the show's trying to sell them and the character relationships that I'm actually rooting for, and it's not just a lot of bad guys' mustache twirling. My feeling was The Witcher was going to give us a lot of what we either liked about Game of Thrones or wanted magic, dragons, cool fighting, blah, 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 etc. Or things that we don't really get a lot in Game of Thrones, like just sweet one-on-one character moments. Like the dragon episode, it starts horribly between Geralt and Yennefer. It's terrible at the end between Geralt and Yennefer. By the way, dude, by the way, our whole Yoda-Obi-Wan prophecy where Yoda specifically tells Luke to do the opposite of what he's supposed to do on purpose, like the Oracle tells Neo, you know, to do the opposite on purpose, mm-hmm. it is exactly what happens so you know the dragon, the old guy who's actually the golden dragon in episode mm-hmm. six? Mm-hmm. What does he say to Yennefer? He says, I'm going to tell you guys two things that you're not going to want to hear. He says to Yennefer, your womb will never be healed, which is a lie. It's not a lie that her womb won't be healed. But what he's saying is you will never have a child. But starting in Blood of Elves, as you've seen, she immediately adopts Siri as her daughter and loves her as much or more than anybody loves any daughter. And it just gets more intense as it goes along. And so the womb thing is, a, you know, is, a, is misleading, but she needs to hear that at that point to go on her own way in the journey. And what does he say to Geralt? He says, Geralt, no matter how much you love Yennefer, you guys will never come back together. Which is a blatant lie. Even you know that. You know that eventually they're going to at least have a chance, you know, probably multiple times to come back together. Whether it's permanent or not, I'm not going to say. Because honestly, right. the jury's out. Because with the video games and the continuing books, you know, they, they continue the Yennefer uh, Geralt story. And, and it's not really clear. But they do right. have chances to come back together. But, Simi, that's a lie, too. And why, is he lie to, why does he lie to Geralt? You, l- let me ask you this. Why at that moment does the golden dragon lie to Geralt that, that he'll, it'll, it'll never work with Yennefer? Because he immediately follows up with, you have a destiny and you need to get your head out of your ass and your head straight because you have business to take care of right now. And she's called the Lion Cub of Sintra, Cirilla Princess, the, the Swallow herself, the Lion Cub, Siri. Get your head out of your ass. He needs 
to get Geralt to think there's no hope of the Yennefer, so he stops obsessing about it, so he focuses on Ciri. It's brilliant, right? It's like it's it's like Yoda saying you must kill Vader. Yeah, yeah, no, it it it's a really it's a really great episode. I mean, there's a lot going on. Uh, Sorry, I'm blabbing. Absolutely. I just love sharing this stuff with you because you've read the books and you know how. Like, like we talked about the rape thing. You like you you've experienced so much more than most people. I just urge, uh, look of all of this. Look, guys, the series saga going forward. The seasons are going to get better and better than this first season, Simi. But what you, I think you would agree with me that of all the seasons, this would be the one to pick up the those original books and read these stories. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's going to start a whole thing. Everybody's going to really get into it. Uh, I think these are good. The books are better. So there's so much more content. It's such another great fantasy world. They do a great job with the characters. I mean, look, I'm being critical, but, like, there's not much to hate in it. Like, I'm just saying. It, they to did a me, pretty good job. Anya Chalotra should and I think will get nominated. Maybe not this year, but next. If Claire Danes and can get nominated for doing the same thing, I love Claire Danes, but Claire Danes can get nominated for doing the same thing year after year, and Lena Headey and Amelia Clark, who I also love, get nominated for doing the same thing year after year. Anya Shalotra from ug- from good-hearted but ugly Yennefer to gorgeous Yennefer with an ugly heart. And the way she plays it is amazing. Her physicality, the camera, every angle and lighting on Anya Shalotra, she looks different. I love the gothy, evil Yennefer. But then all of a sudden she's in furs, you know, with a rounder look. I mean, it's amazing the looks that she can pull off. Um, I, I was also impressed that they stuck with her deformities for so long. Like, I thought they just switched Which is hearsay in the book, by the yeah. way. Which is hearsay in the right. book. Because, right. Simi, right. the first time we meet her in the book is the last wish. So all of that stuff is pieced together from later books where they talk about her deformity, but it doesn't happen that way, which is why right, they right, had to right. do the time thing. Yeah. No, it's not. I'm, I'm not saying for you, for you. This is for the audience. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Um, but you thought, I, I'm sure you must have at least be impressed with her as a 23-year-old with almost no experience. No, the whole thing is great. I mean, they did a really good job. Uh, the only reason why I'm critical is because there's just so much content. But then you look at things like they did with the le- that they actually did the Last Wish, and like that was probably the one of the more complex wish. ones to actually yeah. possibly do. And they actually did a better job. I thought the Last Wish was actually better as a uh, as an episode I than agree. it was. I agree. The book. Uh, because the book, it's just all over the fucking place. I mean, a lot of the book is all over the fucking place. And my sad part is I'm driving, usually listening to this shit. So, like, sometimes I'm, like, really paying attention to the driving and I zone out. Brilliant. And I don't necessarily go back. So that's why I read things over and over again. So I really get all the content and get all the gist and I don't really miss anything. So I'm looking forward to going back through a lot of these series once I finish. Um and well, no, I got to hone in on that because that was an absolutely brilliant statement. Because yeah. that was totally. the that was that was the story, the episode in the meeting that I thought a 
they would retcon into something simpler. B, they should retcon into something simpler. And C, I thought for sure they would, and I would be okay with it. And the fact that they took it on so loyally, I mean, literally, the the, the very uh, Deagle and Smeagol fighting over the ring, like with, uh, you know, with uh, Geralt and, and, and Dandelion with the thing. And then Dandelion immediately starts wishing for the death of his his competitors and women to fall in love with him. Guys, have you watched Aladdin? What are the two things the genie can't do? He can't kill people and he can't make people fall in love with you. So Dandelion immediately starts wishing death and, and love, right? Which is against all the rules, thinking that he has it. But, like, the names that he says, in, in the, I mean, those lines when Dandelion starts spewing his wishes are straight from the book. So basically what I'm saying to me is the fact that they even tried to take it on Already, I was shocked, and I, the balls I couldn't believe, and the fact that I ended up being like, this is my last wish story, more than any of the other interpretation. Like, for example, a question of price with Dooney the Hedgehog and, and Pavetta and, and Queen Calente. It really complements each other because it's so loyal, but I love seeing all the Skellige Vikings and the Celts, you know what I mean? I mean, that's, that's what's so cool about Ciri's heritage is that the Sintrans the and their cousins across the water, the Skelligas, are basically the Vikings and the Celts, right? They got bagpipes. They're, the, they're in the Isles, right? Yeah, they got bagpipes. They're, they're Druids. They're spiritual. And by the way, Simi, you'll see this in the books. It goes throughout the books and into the games. This isn't a spoiler. It's like the only nation of good people who regularly protect Siri in particular, but just the good guys in general, are the Skelligas because they have a natural affinity for nature. Nature, and even though they're kind of wild and violent and occasionally barbaric like the Vikings, they have a natural affinity for nature and just their heads are on straight and they believe in Siri and they believe in prophecy. And, and that's the whole point. You know, I mean, how great is it? You think it's all about the men hitting on, on uh, beautiful young Pavetta, but it's actually all the middle-aged guys hitting on Queen Kalinthe. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> And she ends up marrying the dude. And dude, in the book, as you know, Iced, that guy, Iced, who ends up being the adoptive grandfather of Siri, who's so great, it's been literally hitting on Queen Kalinthi for years. She's the MILF, right? I mean, she's Mm. the MILF, you know? And, 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 And he's been hitting on her for years. And then he ends up being one of the main reasons to engage her. I mean, there's just so much subtlety that is adult and complicated and dark at times and yet relatable and, and stuff you're rooting for. I, I just don't feel like you get this in, in, in Game of Thrones much. A character like Ice or even Kalinthi who makes a lot of bad calls and is very tragic in some ways, but is a noble leader who's trying to defend Ciri and her kingdom. Other than the Starks, you really don't get it in Game of Thrones. And so between season one of Game of Thrones and the happy ending that everybody but me hated in Game of Thrones, it's not a lot of, of that stuff going on. I prefer my scenarios where where everyone's very flawed and they make bad decisions, but at least some of them you can be rooting for, both among the common folks in me, but also Mm -hmm. the royal folk. Because, again, I don't want to get political, but let's be honest, whether it's medieval or today, if everyone's evil in in the highborn and everyone's evil in the lowborn, we're fucked, right? 
So you mm-hmm. need at least some good guys with the highborn people, and you need some good guys with the lowborn people, and that's why Siri, but Geralt in particular, are the best main characters as opposed to kings and princes because they span, you know, the kings and the queens and princes as you see more and more want to use Geralt and Yennefer and so forth and Siri to their ends, but they're also in touch with the common folk and so forth, which I absolutely love. Oh, quick side note. I thought they nailed um, the look and feel of magic in this first season. As a Harry Potter guy, I'd be curious what you think about that. Yeah, I thought I thought they did a pretty good job. I also like in the books how they start to refer, refer to it as the Force and how the Force is all around us. Which is one and- translation. It, it's also translated as power with a capital P. It'll be interesting. I don't think they're going to use the word Force in the show for obvious reasons. By the way, you know how Tessera is constantly telling Yennefer to control the chaos, and then she's like, let the chaos out? Mm-hmm. Chaos is the third word. So actually, what they call the force, which we think as being very balanced, uh, power and chaos are the two other synonyms in the canon mm. for it. So I think they're going to refer to it as power and chaos. Um and I think that's way more interesting. And again, you know, to jump back to Last Jedi, the notion of the Force being more productive as a chaotic thing, I think, is something we saw and Re- we've seen in Rebels. And, and Ryan Johnson at least tried to broach in uh, in Last Jedi, which is way more interesting to me. And Siri is a very chaotic character, man. You have read far enough to know that she's a chaotic character, and that's what gives her, I her think power. She was casted very well. I thought her, Jennifer, and Geralt were cast were cast very well. And that's the big Danny three. Line was my that's the big three. Point. People were asking me, you know, you know how they have those the cool Witcher. Uh, metal morphing things at the beginning mm-hmm. and, and it's always different but it's always from mm-hmm. three sides and I talked to a couple people about this I was like guys don't overthink it I mean Triss Marigold's awesome and I love Dandelion and there's other great characters good and bad but like it's ultimately about Geralt Yen, and, and Ciri um, and that's how it should be and yeah and you know, and by the way, I just want to say whether you think Henry Cavill's a great, good, or just okay actor, he defines what we call a generous actor. And he was the one hyping mm, up, absolutely. specifically, he was the one hyping up Frey Allen as Siri and Anya Chalotra as Yennefer. Um, right. As he makes good, other people across him look very good. He, he's a and great that's Geralt. He, and that's Geralt. Yeah. But, the, but the other thing you have to realize, man, is the, is the is you know Geralt gives these long speeches in the books, but Geralt in in the video game, which is what most people are familiar with before this, is sort of like a cowboy. He has an Eng- he's an American accent, and he speaks very little. And and so Henry Cavill made it clear that he wanted to combine the Geralt from the books and the Geralt from the games, the sort of mm-hmm. cowboy, soft spoken, you know, hell or high water kind of. Um, uh, uh, Geralt, and boy, does he nail it. I mean, because he's English in real life, and so he's actually affecting a slightly less Angl- Anglophone accent. Uh, uh, and he told Lauren Hissrick, uh, who's the showrunner, um, God bless her. Oh my God, she's doing unbelievable. And her outreach to people, by the way, Simi, I just want to point out, L- Lauren Hissrick has been engaged daily with the fan base 
And while she she is asking for people to be nice to each other, she's specifically asked fans of the show not to down uh, like or whatever people who express negative but non-hateful opinions. Like, she's specifically encouraging diverse opinion, the showrunner, right? Like, she doesn't have enough on her plate. God bless her. Um, God bless her. God bless her. Yeah, exactly. But she said that the only thing Henry Cavill said to her, because Henry Cavill was a Witcher 3 guy, like me, and then discovered the books, but then they were like, this is definitely going to be based on the books with some flavor, like the violence, for example, uh, mm-hmm. from the game. Um, but they Yeah, there's take... some gore in this, for sure. Yeah, and there's not a lot of fighting in the books, and so they had to take it from the game. Um and, and, and by the way, that's all Henry Cavill, zero stunt double, and that's why they did the long one takes with him, which oh, I absolutely awesome. loved. Um, but he, the only note ahead of time that he gave her was that he thought that one thing they should do more like the game is air, like, let's put it this way. If it was a question between giving him a line or not giving him a line, they should air towards not giving it to him and just having him play it on his face, and he does amazing facial and physical performance, which is the Geralt that I love and know. Um, and, and while I love the sort of pedantic, you know, moralistic speeches that Geralt gives sometimes in, in the books, um, the, the sort of soft-spoken, uh, smoldering cowboy Geralt, I, I'll throw it to you. I, I, I like that particular portrayal, whether you're familiar with the games and or the books or neither or both. No, I think I think that's... You know, like what we were saying earlier, how originally they were all kind of all over the place, and then they have all this direction coming forth once they know about, like, that they're both kind of responsible for Siri, like mom and dad. And That was the most um, egregious thing. Really quickly, Sammy, you know this, which is... The reason they had to they had to cross pollinate the timelines is because if you combine the last wish and the sword of destiny, Siri doesn't come in until the second to last chapter right, of Sword right, of Destiny. Right, 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 and because right. we need Siri to be in our mind's eye the whole time, they had to finesse that storyline, and that's why Brokalon Woods and the Dryads Broke-a-lon. and stuff was not nearly as interesting. But as right. you know, Simi, but we need to Just share rushed. this with the viewers. I've said this on, but guys, you need to know this. The biggest change, and again, Lauren Histrick, God bless her, has said she's literally lost sleep and continues to lose sleep over this decision, but they couldn't figure out how to do it in eight episodes with their format, which is in the books, Carol and Siri hang out for an extended period in Brokilon, uh Woods right. before Sintra burns, and they sort of realize who one another is, but they haven't connected as being destined, and Geralt sends her away, and then Sintra burns, and Geralt goes, oh my god, what have I done? Right, and then he comes back and finds her at, at the... Uh well, they at least actually play that part out in the in the show, which makes the final uh, hug longer and more emotional because he they both thought they fucked up the ch- that he fucked up the chance. He had her. He had right. her in a safe condition. He knows the dryads. He could have immediately taken right. He could have immediately taken Siri to Kermoran from there and avoided the whole thing, and she could have died. That wasn't part of destiny, though. And in the book and in the show, of course, they hug. He says something about destiny, and she goes, who's Yennefer? Which is fine for a cliffhanger, but what happens in the book is so much better. They hug, they hug, they hug, they hug, and then she starts pounding on his chest, 
And Siri just starts saying, because she's so mad at him for screwing it up, she goes, say you're my destiny. Say you're my destiny. Say it. Say it. Say you're my destiny. Say you're my destiny. And he's kind of smiling, and he gets why she's mm-hmm. upset by ha- and happy at the same time. And he, what does he say? He goes, no, you are something more, which is the name of the final chapter of Sword of Destiny is something more, and that leads directly into Blood of Valves. They couldn't figure out how to do it, but the fact that the showrunner and the writer, Simi, were aware that this was a problem, it shows mm. the dedication to the material. But Absolutely. I'm never going to be happy that we don't get the two of them in Brokelon Woods and then the more meaningful. Does that make sense? Like, did you feel yeah. that at the end? Like, it wasn't, it didn't feel quite as, as strong and as sweet because they had to hung out? Yeah, it felt, it felt a little, uh, again, rushed. Just rushed. The relationship was rushed. I mean, they could have, they could have drawn this out even further. I mean, uh, like I said, I wish there was a little bit more serial because there's just so much content in these books. Um, but it, it, it's good. It's, it, it, it's a B plus, you know, it, it's good. It's really good. You know, it's, it's not. So I thought I, 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 like I said, like there was, there's so much between him and Siri. They, they skipped the whole part of it, you know, like the whole relationship. Right, you know, so, of him, actually, like, so what I've been saying, or like she's kind of a shrew at some level, and uh, yeah, he he's like you. No one's ever told you to shut the fuck up, except yeah. your grandma, huh? So, so I actually, Simi, people have been rushing for the last rush, uh, last wish. But as we've talked about with these stories, they're so loyal with the last wish. Mm-hmm. So I've they actually did. been telling people to prioritize sort of destiny because sort of destiny mm-hmm. we get. The story, as I keep saying, with Dandelion and, and Geralt and the halfling and the dwarf and the changeling and the bar and so forth, which is just one of the greatest, most hilarious dark fantasy stories ever. We, mm-hmm. get, a, we get a bunch of Yennefer stuff that makes her seem even more horrible. Uh, you know what I mean? And them coming back together even less likely. But the last two chapters are specifically Geralt and Ciri together and then apart and then together. Um, yeah. And that's that's the reason to do it. And by the way, as you know, the the, the dryads are way more menacing in Brokelon Woods in the books. I mean, they're, right. you don't need the Mousesack clone. I mean, by the, spoiler alert, Mousesack does not die <laughs> in this way in the books. He lives quite a long time, goes back to Skellige, becomes even more of a druid. Like they had to force that whole Malsac cloning thing to get to get right to get menace with Siri in the woods. But in the book, it's actually the dryads who are threatening to kill her and or force her to become a dryad, and Geralt needs to talk them down or whatever. Yeah, it was literally like like they're like no one ever comes here, so either you keep you either you know become our spermdoer. You, White Wolf, Glendalith, as they call him, right. Glendalith. Either you uh, become our sperm donor or you stay forever. And she, it's like, he he's like, she's more special than that. And that, th- that's something that The Witcher has that not that many mainstream stories have, which is the dryads, which is, are, are they a race? Not exactly. Are they a religious cult? Sort of. They're all women. They but they expect... Yep. <laughs> no, but you just said it. But they accept sperm from elves and men and other. Yeah. So is it implied that he spent some time there doing that? Well, he knows Milva in that. I mean, he he's friends with the dryads the same way he's friends with the wild elves and so forth. Right. Right. 
Well, look, I think, you know, we've, we've gone through a lot. Okay, let's jump. Wait, let's jump. Let's do the next spoiler jump. Let's do the next spoiler jump. Let's do the next spoiler jump. Well, the next spoiler jump, we're going to talk a little bit about our thoughts of uh, predictions, whatever, once for season two, and then we'll wrap up. All right, buddy. So, guys, here is where the uh, spoiler warning comes on for... So, Sammy, you know I've read everything almost three times with The Witcher. Um, That being said... The story with the characters like Vilgaforts and Ryans and and uh, and, uh, uh, and and Lars Mikkelsen's character um, Strigobor, you know, it's so complicated with all the sorcerers and sorceresses and kings and queens, and that's what I think people will love who love the intricacy of Game of Thrones. Um, it's a slightly different style, but it has a sort of similar feel. Um, I've been talking up Vilgafort's big time because, uh, you know, <laughs> I, there, there are some surprises, uh, that, um, are, are weak, uh, if, if you really are surprised. So, for example, <laughs> like, warning people that Vilgafort's is complicated and could be a problem in the long-term future, I, I feel like is a is a, a light uh, teaser slash spoiler. <laughs> um, and you can even tell, having not finished it or whatever. So, guys, we're going to talk a little bit about Season 2, which I initially thought they were going to do one book per season, so it'd be Blood of Elves would be 2 and Time of Contempt 3. Now I'm convinced for sure, with more episodes and the way they've been doing it, uh, for sure they're going to do Time of Contempt and Blood of Elves, I think, a semi, um, in Season 2. And I think they're accelerating towards the Witcher 3 game because while all the books are amazing uh, from a character and dialogue and narrative standpoint, in terms of the high stakes of the Witcher 3 with the Wild Hunt, which they're already teasing the icy future that, ta- that, that causes apocalypse in the world and elves from another dimension take over. I mean, it's so epic. Uh, and he's constantly teasing it throughout the books. And I'm not saying they're going to do what's in the video game, but I, I think they actually want to go beyond uh, the-, the written material at some point. And then Sapkowski seems totally on board. So, guys, and if you don't want any speculation on next for next season based on Blood of Elves and or Time of Contempt, now would be the time to go. Uh, but, Simi, I think I've made my point without having to make it as to why I'm so much more excited about this. At the this particular moment than I am about something that's usually an easy sell for me, like Star Wars. This is just, so So a couple of things. One, uh, your Game of Thrones reference, I think what's cooler about The Witcher is it's a little bit more concentrated. Mm. I think the characters aren't, by concentrated, I don't mean to say that the, the then Game of Thrones is watered down. It's not like that because they spent so much time and the episodes were very long and uh, the books are so in-depth. These episodes are longer, by the way, but I thought flew by for the most part. Yeah, so I think think because there were so many characters, it was way more of a soap opera. The only soap opera aspect of The Witcher is because there's a lot of storylines going on at the same time and that's actually just the way he writes. He writes in this... Guy Ritchie, uh, Quentin Tarantino, uh, you know, where it's just like things are happening all over the place, and it's not necessarily in a chronological. I love you, you know, I made the Tarantino order. comparison. Um, 
Yeah, and, and I think his writing is fun. I think that's what what almost makes it an even a more interesting storyline is how he jumps around. Mm-hmm. So I thought I thought I thought they in the series that they jumped around a, 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 like to, in to respect the book, but maybe a little too much. Um, I felt well, they had to series. They had to. Sure, 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 sure. I've sure. tried to come up with another way to engage Siri from because, dude, no, God, no, seriously, dude. If you go chronologically right. with the books, Siri does not show up till episode seven of eight. You can't have that. You can't have that. So what were they going to do? What were they going to do? Uh, they're only committed to season two, correct? No, 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 no. They so as soon as they started doing one, they renewed for two. And by the time they were done one, they had renewed at least through three. I think at this point they're committed to five. They're ready to do the whole series saga, which is part of why I think they're accelerating. So they just did one. So I think books one and two of the series saga are going to be uh, are going to be two. Books three and four will be uh, season three. Lady of the Lake, which is super epic and the longest of them, will be four. And then I think five will be the events of The Witcher three and the Wild Hunt with a much older Siri and like the full on invasion of elves from another dimension. Uh, guys, again, this is not a spoiler. The Witcher three is one of the best selling most loved video games of all time. It's called The Wild Hunt. Well, I mean, the wild hunt is referred to in many levels, so it's not that's that's one of the that's necessarily just unique yeah. to this book. Anyhow, um, but no, but, but here's what I love. Wait, hold I really, on, really quick, it, really quick, Jimmy. It's stunning. Really quick, there's something structurally that this does that not even Lord of the Rings does, and I don't think Game of Thrones does, which is. You've got, you know, the Witchers and the Marauders and, you know, the, the Rebels, right? And the, the common folk. And then you've got the Kings and the Queens and the Princes and the Lords. But then you've got the Brotherhood, which is mostly women on the Council of Magicians and men as well. By the way, guys, rule of thumb, most uh, uh, sorceresses, most female enchantresses are complicated and not all of them are good. Some of them are. Rule of thumb, male sorcerers do not trust them. The only exception, Simi, which was so sweet, which I know you know the longer story from the the, the books is Istred, her lover, who, the, her, who's competing with Geralt. And they don't have time for him to directly compete with Geralt here. But he loves ugly Yennefer. He loves hunchback Yennefer when she has a good heart. And as soon as he sees beautiful Yennefer with a bad heart, he's completely turned off by her in that final episode. Istred. Amazing. That young black guy. So good. Simi, by the way, no complaints about how many minority castings in almost all the major young highlight actors are minority actors. I mean, on Chalotra, the guy who plays Istrid, obviously the guy who plays Vilgefortz. Oh my god. I mean, I, even in this section, I can't talk that much about Vilgefortz, but you can just tell by how spectacularly charismatic uh, but, but dark he is, you know, the, the possible role he might play. Don't you agree, though? I mean, the diversity of casting on all levels in this, but also the, the excellence of these secondary support characters, I, I, I thought was through the roof. Yeah, it, 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 it was very impressive. I, like I said, the, most of the casting was the way kind of I visually saw a lot of these people. You know, Siri was great. Geralt was great. Yennefer was great. 
like I said, Dendillion. I don't know if I could. He's not Dendillion yet. Though. That's that's the tra- that's the thing. They got to stop calling him Yaskier and call him Dandelion and just let Dandelion be brash, arrogant, annoying Dandelion. I think people will love him more at that point. I think that's where they're going. They just didn't want to overexpose him in the first season. And, and you know, his song is partially responsible, and that's the guy playing and singing is partially responsible, among many reasons why this show is doing so popular. So we'll, revi- we'll revisit Dandelion. But I just wanted to highlight all the young actors of color who... Uh, who it's, it's like... This felt like Hamilton to me, honestly. Like... This felt like every single great young actor or actress was a person of color or partial color and was just nailing it like Riz Ahmed style. Like, there's a bunch of young people of color actors here that I thought were like Riz Ahmed levels. And uh, you know what I mean? Uh, and there's going to be more going forward. Um, and I, uh, but, but, anyways, the point being. You don't really have in Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones that third or fourth or fifth division uh, up against everyone else where the kings and queens think they're controlling the sorcerers and the sorceresses, but with Vilgefort's not necessarily so much. <laughs> yeah, the only other thing is, like, again, timing is everything. Like, right. the, there's not a ton of competition up against this. So, like, people, people don't have a show right this second. You know, I mean, look, well, there's a, there's we're, all, a million we're all oversaturated. Shows. No, 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 no. There's I'm, a million like, shows. I'm saying, like, Netflix has done this a few times. They did this with uh, The Order. They did this with Sabrina. They did this with, uh, you know, there's a bunch of different Netflix things that they, okay. they, like, push a show. You know what I mean? Like, and, like, this is their new show. So... Considering right now, it's just kind of a, you know, the, okay, the Disney, right. okay. what is Disney Plus's show You've read Blood, right oh, I'm pushing, I'm pushing, I'm pushing, I'm pushing, I'm pulling a Biz layer. You've read Blood yeah. of Elves. Yeah, I just finished it, yes. You can clearly see the giant steps forward that this series is taking. I mean, you need to read Time of Contempt because that's when the shit hit, the, the shit really hits the fan from a exactly. geopolitical level. But in terms yeah. of following Triss Marigold so closely and following Siri and following Yennefer for long stretches, but letting Siri talk about menstruation and like, I want to be a boy. And like, these are things you don't normally deal with in fantasy shows, but it's hilarious because she's so honest. And again, to me, it's like if we see Ray as like a 12 year old, but people are actually adopting her. This is what I would sort of think of, you know what I mean? Um, And people aren't ready for starting, dude. People aren't ready. People think there's one Witcher in the whole world. Guess what, guys? Starting next season, it's Geralt with a bunch of other Witchers in the Witcher stronghold and Kaer Morin training Ciri, who's the first ever female Witcher, Ciri, and uh, Simi, and Ciri's training to be an enchantress at the same time. And Triss is training her to be a woman and a princess. Oh, it's amazing. I love it. I I love that stuff, but I can't wait for you to get halfway through Time of Contempt because you're going to be like, oh, my God, this... (laughs) This makes Shakespeare look like child's play. The the fucking backstabs and betrayals that are about to hit. <coughs> I can't wait. I've I really enjoyed it so far. I mean, no, it's no, great no, sorry, I, I'm talking a lot. Let me go back to my last question. But even Blood of Elves, you must be able to tell with a more linear narrative, older characters, more focus on the wider geopolitical. We got the Emperor Amir von Emerus. Do you know who the Emperor Amir von Emerus is, by the way? No. 
I think I've spoiled this unnecessarily on my podcast because I thought it was obvious. You're a savage. What'd you do? He really, 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 really wants Siri. I'm confused. Where? What, what do you mean? Uh, which, which, the Emperor which of Nilfgaard. Oh, the, the... The bad guy emperor. The guy with the helmet and the bird does... No. No. That's Kaeda. That's Kaeda, who That's the, who was the, in the, the first season, and whatever. that was very smart for them to start building him because he's a tool of the Emperor of Nilfgaard. But he, as we see in the first season, but we're going to see more and more, he becomes a patriot for Ciri uh, through his experience and actually wants to help. And Geralt's constantly going to be wanting to kill him because he thinks he's a spy of Nilfgaard. And it's always a question of, is he a spy of Nilfgaard still, or is he true? Um, I'm not going to answer that because it's long mm. and it's very complicated. That's in this book I'm reading right now. Yeah. Um, that's guy. It's spelled, his name is C-A-H-I-R, which looks Can like I it's... Can this book before we get into this? Come on. Yeah. So it, it's, it, it looks like it's pronounced Kahir, but the way that the uh, Peter Kenny reads it, I guess, is the Polish uh, version, which is Kaeda. Um, Kaeda. You know, he's part with Milva, who's the dryad, and, you know, he's got, they've got the vampire buddy who comes back, and the dwarf who, is all, who comes in and out. You know, they got their whole crew of people or whatever, blah, 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 blah. But the Emperor of Nilfgaard, Emperor Amir von Emerus, who's already a character in what you're reading, are you at all aware what he's after and who he is? No. Okay. Um, so we'll save that. Um, yeah. But uh, but do you agree that having this third council, if you will, or third house, which is actually the most powerful, but is also very split between the super powerful male and uh, enchan- uh, uh, sorcerers and female enchantresses, it, 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 if nothing else, distinguishes this from a lot of other epic fantasy out there, where you know wizards are tools, um, but don't have this much power. And I love how they teased it in the final couple episodes where like literally the only thing protecting the entire Northern kingdom from the Nilfgaardians was Yennefer, Triss and, and, and them. And I just want to be clear, Simi, and this is not a spoiler because there's a two year time jump up uh, to the, to blood of elves when series uh, training with the witchers, which is the efforts of those uh, enchantresses, many of whom died, but specifically that like 10 mile long fireball that Yennefer lets loose literally sets the Nilf guardians back like two years militarily. Like they need to retreat and regroup for years after that, which buys them enough time to get Siri to the witchers and blah, 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 right. Gives the good guys a little bit of time. I don't know if it came across because of budget reasons or whatever, how absolutely significant that was at the time and going forward. No, I, I think, I think they, I think it feel, felt somewhat significant. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. Well, let's look, let's look, I am, I am a thousand percent convinced they're combining uh, blood of elves in time of contempt. So why don't we save our prediction? Yeah, podcast? let's save it. Let me finish. Yes, I think I think we're at a good stopping point because I feel like you're getting into stuff that I'm not there yet for. Right. So, so you know, you know how Fellowship of the Ring is very fanciful and fun, and then you've got the Council, and then all of a sudden you've got the the Balrog, and you shall not pass. Mm-hmm. So middle of time of contempt is 
Balrog, fly you fools, you shall not pass. Ah. So I can't really go into the super heavy epic dramatic stuff until you get there. So let's say. So let me finish. Give me. By the time we do this again, I'm going to be done with that book. So. Okay, but but just to tease one thing, can you at least assure the Bizzlecast listeners that while Freya Allen was great as the Disney princess in the woods in uh, season one, she's quite different and more mature in some ways going forward, based already on what you've read. Yeah, it's a different relationship. I mean, it's a presentation of, of one character, and she becomes something else. So. But she's cocky, uh, and she wants to fight, and she wants to be the best. You know what I mean? Like, right. it's, it's Yeah. Right. She gained some confidence. But she... Uh, I bypassed yeah. the compressor! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they're going to definitely play up the right angle. The problem is, in terms of her powers, in her ultimate sort of force... Uh, abilities. She's more like Ahsoka, but in personality, she's more like Ray. Right, right. Um, right. All right, dude. Um, so this was a great conversation. Um, I, I really did not want to force down your throat anything here and make my points mostly through observations of the shows. I just will find my final thought here, buddy. Is uh, you know I've said I said this before The Witcher, and I said it right after I saw it. I said, look. I love Star Wars and Dune, but it's the fantasy aspects of those properties I particularly like. And, you know, no amount of spaceships and lasers, for me, even though I love sci-fi, can replace the um, humanistic, gritty, violent, complicated, but also sort of historical, mythological, geopolitically relevant themes um, and so forth of great fantasy, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and, and Harry Potter is the same. I mean, Harry Potter is, I was going to say Harry Potter is a common in English society. Harry Potter is like a thousand comments on English society. Um, and you know, the muggles and so forth and, and Terry Pratchett too. I mean, look, I told you my, my Mount Rushmore is Terry Pratchett, JK Rowling, Tolkien and Sapkowski. who's the witcher. Those are my four and they're all British and it's not a coincidence. Um, uh, right, but, but but would you agree with me? I know you're a fantasy guy too. And when fantasy, when it's really well done, there's something transcendent about it. But also the escapism, it's more pure in a way because we're not being mediated by technology. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think I think these are great mediums, and I feel like all my fantasies are coming true with the books that I like becoming TV shows. Mm-hmm. So they're they're doing a great vehicle for it, and. Um, you know, I'm enjoying it. I can't complain too much as much as like we sit here complaining. I'm not complaining about this whatsoever. And by the way, (laughs) I still stand by my A plus 10 out of 10 Rogue One for The Witcher because I, I consider what they attempted and accomplished, um, uh, um, probably a higher level of difficulty than the average person. Mm. Um, and so... And you heard I had plenty of criticisms. I mean, the series sub story is obviously the weakest and the furthest from the books, but they had to do it to get Siri in there. And I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm okay with it. You know, it's the same mm-hmm. way. Like if I really wanted to dissect Rogue One, do we need Saw Gerrera? Do I mean, stop? I, look, Sammy, I love Saw, but I'm saying I could deconstruct it in a way that you don't need Saw Gerrera. But for the personality right, right. of it and for the telling of that story, you need Forrest Whitaker as Saw Gerrera. 
Just like we needed Siri being a little unsiri in, in, in the television series, right? Right, um, for, right. For this purposes. And so when I, when I gave Rogue One an A after my first viewing on air and then immediately an A plus on, at my second viewing, I, I still wasn't convinced it was perfect. And there were certain things that I liked more over time, like Saw and the Borgullet and Tarkin and different things that I got okay with that I didn't love. But everything else that I loved that was working in harmony with material that I loved um, and bringing together canon that I thought I knew but didn't, does that make sense? It was it was so glorious that I just don't care. I have a threshold meter, I guess is what I'm saying. The Bizzle has a threshold meter. And mm. it, it, if you cross my A to A-plus threshold meter on the majority of what you are doing, like, mm-hmm. can I poke holes in Children of Men? I'm sure if I looked close enough, there's a problem with Children of Men. I've never seen it. Um, <laughs> there's definitely sloppiness in um, There Will Be Blood, which was a movie that I, I immediately loved but had problems with and have loved right, more over time. Right. I could poke holes in that. That's still an A+, plus, 10 out of 10, no question for me, you know? Um, but that's what I say about someone like you, buddy. You know, you're a 10 out of 10 A+. Plus. Are you perfect? No, but it doesn't matter. That's part of what makes you a 10 out of 10 A+. Plus. If you were perfect, you wouldn't be a 10 out of 10 A+. Plus. I wouldn't even like you. So there you go. Simi, go ahead. <laughs> perfect with all my imperfections. Uh, no, I, I, I think what we've done here is solid. I think the people Science. got all the gifts Science. they want. And uh, it, it's been it's been a whirlwind. I'm going to rewatch everything that we just talked about. Uh, I'm rewatching The Witcher as we speak. I'm re I'm reading everything right now. There's a lot of content. We got a lot of conversations to have, and uh, I'm looking forward to our next Bizzlecast. We still have to we still have to tackle Clone Wars. So this is going to be great, man. We're going to do some Witcher and Clone Wars next, guys. Tune in. Tune in, tune in. I mean, if nothing else, we can agree this entire experiment and show could have gone horribly, 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 horribly wrong. And the fact that that didn't happen on its own, Simi, is a major accomplishment. I I know that seems like damning with faint praise, but I I know with bizarre fantasy, I think you know what I'm saying. Yeah, dude. I I, I think we could give ourselves a fair amount of pats on the back. And I think, uh, I'll I'll give you this one. I'll give you this one because you've been reading your ass off. So I'm going to, I'll give you, I'm going to give you a, uh, a, um, uh, a teat on this. I'm early to the bandwagon. But I mean, I'm obviously jumping on the bag. You're like, you were like, you were like. No, you're me- early because you didn't play the video game, which makes it super impressive. Like, I had friends who had played Witcher Three who loved it, but then needed coaching to read the books. To read the books before right. this, I coached without even like when you. I don't know if you remember this. When you first revealed to me that you had started listening slash reading it. I was blown away and was so happy and impressed. I didn't think it was going to – I didn't think you were – I thought you were too busy and had too much going on to realize how much you would love this or or I think you would love this. No, I dove into it. I've been enjoying it. I'm really happy. I think I love – like I've always said, I love a good world and they've done a great job with it. So uh, I'm going to finish the books. I've already bought all the books and I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, what you said, four or five seasons would be amazing. 
So it's gonna awesome. be great. All right, pal. Well, um, we will uh, have news uh, soon just in terms of what we're doing pre-Clone Wars, but it's currently, let's see, January 8th. We have a month. So even if I only get you on once, hopefully I'll get you on twice before Clone Wars, which is four, five, six weeks away. But even if I only get mm-hmm. you on once, we can burn through some, some Ahsoka. Because you yeah. and I... Look, for different reasons, I need it more than you because I'm not <laughs> in love with so much what's going on. And I think Ahsoka is the cure to all of our problems and, and everything. I agree. I need some Ahsoka. We got to get some Ahsoka in our lives. We got to get some people Ahsoka in their lives. And in the end, it will have been smart for them to wait. Because I think, dude, Clone Wars, I know it's animated, but adults watch animated, adult animated stuff these days. And I think Clone Wars is going to slay on uh, on Disney Plus. I, I think. I hope so. Yeah, I already have friends who swore they would never, who aren't, who swore they aren't big. Uh, <laughs> Maddie G, uh, who swore they aren't big uh, Star Wars fans and would never watch animated stuff, who are watching Clone Wars and being like, "This is actually pretty good." I was like, "Oh, what did you watch?" I hope not too early. And he described the Cad Bane episode. I'm like, "Yep, you started in the perfect place, buddy. Keep going." <laughs> Uh, I love Cat Bait. Uh, I love the the infiltration of the Jedi Temple. Yeah, man. All right, final thoughts. Cool, Simi buddy. Primo. Uh, this this was tons of fun. I need to watch Star Wars again. I'm going possibly this weekend. Okay. If not, oh, actually, shout out! I'm actually going to see Harry Potter and Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, uh, both episodes on Saturday. Really looking hmm. forward to that. That's going to be pretty baller. My wife is awesome. Well, we, we've continued to promise the people uh, non-Star Wars commentaries, and we've continued to fail the people. So I guess that's an open conversation. Oh, we did The Witcher. We did The Witcher. Witcher. Hey, Witcher. Simi, thanks so awesome. much for being it's on, awesome dude. Part. This was great. And I love, again, I love that we can... Not just disagree, but we can have Star Wars that's not amazing and still be like, yep, it's still in pretty good shape right now. Absolutely. Absolutely, dude. This was fun. We'll do it again soon, guys. All right, guys. Thank you so much. It's great to have Simi on to launch 2020, baby, with Star Wars and The Witcher. Woo-hoo! Oh, man. Oh, dude, we got Black Widow. We got Wonder Woman. We got oh, WandaVision. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. We got all sorts of stuff coming on. Rebellions are built on hope. Simi, save the rebellion. Save the dream. Bizzlecast out.